Hello and welcome to episode 86 of Gutter to Gutter Podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Tony Bishop. You would have probably heard Tony's voice if you watched the high-tech drifting live streams, the World Time Attack live stream, if you've been to Keep It Reet or Drift Cadet events, or even if you've watched one of the drift demos at Summonats. In this episode, I got to learn about Tony's introduction to Japanese cars in the early noughties and how that was a gateway drug for his drift habit. We got to speak about the drivers he looked up to when he started out and how important they were to him in his early days. Tony also has an important message that he wanted to talk about in this episode and I was more than happy to let him take the floor because this message is so important and just listening along as he told his story had me in awe of how well he could talk about such a heavy hitting subject. I truly had a great time getting to know Tony and really getting a feel for the passion he has for drift, motorsport and car culture in general and I'm positive that you will all love this one too. So please enjoy this episode with Tony Bishop on Gutter to Gutter Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Gutter to Gutter Podcast. I'm Static, and in this episode, I'm joined by Tony Bishop. Tony, thanks for joining me, mate. Howdy, friends. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing? So we're just just chatting. Things have been a bit a bit wild uh, today in the, the world of oil lubrication land. What's Speak to us. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I guess, yeah, my, my job, I suppose. I work for Newlon uh, Engine Oil, Newlon Australia. So we're a local manufacturer of uh lubricant products everything from engine oil coolant gearbox oil all those sorts of things um i've been with them six years now um and it's great you know it's it's a really good job it's i guess we'll, we'll go into a little bit more about me in in the uh as the podcast kicks on but yeah. um you know being a car guy and working in the car industry is just so good Man, um, I, I envy everyone who does it hey yeah i, I, I made the wrong choice <laughs> Look, I don't feel like I go to work. You know, I honestly go into my friend's stores. I talk to them about cars every day and then I go home and I barely look at my watch as the day goes on. It's it's fantastic that – and sometimes I kick myself. I'm like, they're paying me to just go and hang out with my mates. It's absolutely amazing. So, <laughs> um, But because I work in sales, uh, every single year, you know, your sales targets get higher the uh you know the expectation of what we need to achieve the the you know battle with your competitors all of that stuff uh you know it, obviously it kicks on and on and and you've got more and more targets and more and more stress and yeah it's been a pretty challenging start to the year because we've got some major infrastructure projects that our business is working on so I'm enjoying a nice cold beverage right now on this Friday afternoon. It's quite nice. <laughs> nice, man. Nice. So we kind of kind of started a little differently, but that's cool. It was really cool. I had yeah. I had literally learnt um, three minutes before we got together that you work for Newlon. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I had no idea. So yeah. um, I guess for the people who don't know you, kind of um, let's give them a bit of a rundown on on who it is that you are and what what it is you do. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I suppose, yeah, I've lived in Melbourne. 
in the southeast of Melbourne my whole life. Um, uh, 38 years old. Uh, first sort of got into cars, I suppose. Um, I was 17 and the Fast and the Furious movies were a massive influence on, you know, getting involved with cars and just the cool car scene and car meets and all that sort of stuff. You know, you saw those movies and that was around the time when I was getting my license and, you know, it just sort of kicks on from there. Um, so I guess from a teenage age, I was sort of exposed to the car scene and car friends and all that sort of stuff. But my dad actually raced um, dirt speedway before I was born. And so he was a bit of a petrol head in his time. And, you know, I, I guess, as you'd say, you get a bit, you know, you, you're almost doomed as the child of a car guy. You're like, you're probably going to, you're probably going to find it somehow. And, you know, we've got old pictures of dad's race cars and all that sort of stuff. And, and when I came along, um, I've got an older sister who's nine years older than me. Um, so when I came along, you know, the two kids and the race car on a single income, you know, that same old story. It was pretty hard going. So dad gave up racing uh, in pretty much as I was born. So 1984 and, um, you know, just lived the normal suburban life, bought a house, raised two kids, did all that sort of stuff. And then as soon as I got into cars in my teenage years, it was like a, a rebirth for him being a car guy all over again as well. So uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I, I got into cars as a teenager, I guess. So yeah. yeah nice. So you pulled him back into it. Yeah. Not, not like the other way around. Cause you so often hear of, you know, the fathers bringing the kids into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I see that with my mates now, you know, I've got a lot of mates that have got young kids and they're, you know, handing them a spanner and a screwdriver and, you know, getting them to participate in tinkering in the shed and, and they really probably don't realize the formative nature of that time in the shed with your, with your old man or your, or your mom or whatever in the family unit. Um, it's really strong and really formative years in those younger years. So I didn't really have that so much because dad gave everything away. Um, but I certainly got it back when I got into it. And then, yeah, he was absolutely, as you said, just reborn. And um, he has equal as you know, equally as much fun as me. And he's always out at the track with me when I've got my car out or, and the car that I'm building right now, um, he's done most of the work on it, to be honest, because I've got two or three jobs that I travel all around doing. And yeah, I just order boxes of car parts that arrives at home. He goes out, fits them up, complains about problems, whatever, comes back to me with another idea. Um, and yeah, it's it's a great relationship that we have and, and we can go and work on the cars together and have a good time. So so I'm just going to say like, you know, in talking marks, I suppose, I'm just a car dude. That's that's probably the easiest way to say it. But I mean, yeah, like like most people, you're not just into cars. I'm into mountain biking and my health and fitness and heavy music and getting tattooed and all sorts of other crazy stuff. So we'll cover, we'll cover some of that stuff too. Yeah, nice. We've we got a lot in common, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for um, sure. I like that you 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 have parts turn up and your dad goes and does the work. That's um, hats off to you, dude. That's that's amazing. Look, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's not bad. Um, I suppose because I mean, next week, for example, I'm going to be in Tasmania all week. So you know, when you travel a lot for work, you're spending a lot of time eating dinner by yourself in a hotel room by yourself, and that's some of the parts of my job that people wouldn't necessarily see all that much. So they just think. Oh, you're, you know, you're a happy, friendly guy. You rock up to the store, you talk about oils, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, so many hours, I, I don't get a chance to do the things that I like doing because I'm away for work. Um, 
so yeah, I just deliver parts home and, you know, dad and I've got a bit of a group chat going on. So I'm like, Hey, this part's arriving. This is where it goes on the car. And, and out he goes, he's retired. So he's, he's turning 70 this year. So he's um, my number one mechanic, my number one supporter. Um, it's the best. Yeah. It's yeah, that's wicked. very lucky. That's cool, man. Very, very lucky. Oh, so what sort of missive, Mischief did you get to sort of get up to as a kid where you're growing up? Look, I'm, it's kind of a, not, not so much a boring story, but I was a pretty cool kid. Um, or not a cool kid, but pretty just straight up um, in, in pr- sort of primary school and high school. I mean, in primary school, I was school captain. <laughs> so oh, like, that's, oh. that's kind of a cool little thing. And in high school, I think I was vice school captain and, you know, I do, uh, you know, drama performances. I was into, you know, English and performing arts. I wasn't that great at um, maths and science and all those other things. And I, I guess that's how we met a little bit at, at some of that. We'll probably go into that a bit later on. You know, it's funny that I look back and reflect on that sort of time. And I was always happy to be in front of people talking about things. You know, one of my first jobs was at a video store. So I watched a lot of movies and I, I liked making my own movies as a kid as well. So dad um, had a big, um, and, and I say big, you know, it's one of those big old cameras that you put a big VHS tape in and record yourself. Um, so I'd have my mates over as like a 12 or a 13 year old, you know, mates. And we'd set the camera up and we'd make home movies about random stuff and we'd jump off things with our bikes and, you know, all that sort of random stuff. Probably early, maybe early crusty demon days as young kids, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. So, but, but overall, you know, I don't know, pretty easy going sort of cat, um, yeah, didn't really get into too much mischief until I got a car, and then that's probably when the the mischief started. So in my younger years, I was I was pretty pretty cool. Played soccer, did you know just normal sort of stuff as a kid growing up. But the cars are the mischief uh, part of my life, I guess. You'd yeah, say. Nice. it's funny. <laughs> it's funny you should uh, bring up filmmaking. I mean, I'm 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 not a filmmaker by any any means or any stretch. Yeah, but um, as a kid, my one of my mates had the same sort of thing. You know, like that VHS camcorder. And we'd set it up on his bench top, and we started doing like claymation sort of stuff, like yeah, you know, the um the stop motion yeah. stuff. And um, man, that's so difficult when you've just got to like pause, stop, like, yeah, like record, record, stop. A VHS record, tape, yeah, on a VHS tape. Yeah, We're trying to make those little claymation things do. Yeah, dude, it was it was hilarious. Well, I'd love to see those videos now. Look, next next level of that to make my own mixtapes. What I used to do was. The VHS tape would go in. I'd record Rage on a Saturday morning at like 5 a.m. or whatever it was. I'd rec- I've had record Rage so for like three hours or whatever. I'd watch the video clips that I liked and then I'd play back the VHS tape and record it onto cassette and I'd sit there and make a mixtape all Saturday morning and then that was in my Walkman or whatever for the rest of the week. That was before Disman's kids. Anyone's yeah. tuning in at home and you, and you didn't have digital music? Yeah. What's a Walkman, Grandpa? <laughs> right, right, right. I'm only 38. I don't feel yeah, like I'm that right. old, but yeah. Um, yeah. That's so cool. But yeah, that's just just tinkering with technology and, and having a bit of fun. That, that was always about what it was about. So Nice. Yeah, so was what, what was it that sort of brought you into, into the car world? What? What was it then? Well, like, was yeah. It... So... Sorry, go for it. No, no, it just, just, um, I suppose because I knew dad was into it, um, a few of my mates had cool cars. You, you couldn't help but, I suppose, if you're, you know, as a young person growing up, if you're into a sport and, you, and you're really dedicated to your sport and you go to training a couple of nights a week and you play on weekends or whatever, 
you know, you follow that sort of conversations around the clubhouse or whatever it may be, or and and you just get into that sort of stuff. I suppose I had another another couple of mates that we'd always go to the car shows in the city. We'd always go to auto salon and and check out whatever the latest cars were. Um, what modifications people were doing and I just naturally gravitated towards the modification and, and Japanese cars more than anything um, it wasn't I didn't know a lot about Japanese cars at the time because I live in in the uh, southeast of Melbourne so about 45 50 minutes in the southeast um, so not many people had Japanese cars so it was more about the Commodores and Falcons and and all that sort of stuff so once I got exposed to like your auto sell on events and you start to see all these different sort of cars, you're like, Hey, this is kind of cool. And, and what people are doing with them, um, all the custom interiors of the early two thousands. And, um, yeah, it was just a real interest that people could take something standard from the manufacturer and, you know, painted a random color or wheels or whatever. And then you just, yeah, you're just unlocking people's creativity. And, and I don't think that I'm, I've probably got a portion of creativity. I don't feel like I'm hands-on creative, but I can really appreciate it. And, yeah. and that was sort of what, what led me to it. And then, yeah, the movie culture of the early 2000s as well. And um, it was just too cool. And then, and then obviously, yeah, I got my first car and, and it was on. So Nice. There's, there's so many people out there that have the, the story of, you know, like um, the Fast and Furious. You know what I mean? Like they got so that is responsible for getting so many people into cars. Yeah, and I'm um, just shining a light on it, which is hilarious because nothing was accurate at all. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Even back then, when you're watching it, you go, "This is fucking shit." But how yeah, it, right. How so, many gear changes in a 10 second drag race? Come on, guys, right, yeah. seriously. <laughs> that's right. A section yeah. of your floor pan fell out. Like, why yeah. did you cut the floor out and then put some aluminium plate in? Like, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, but it was, was so good, fun. and I, I don't know. I've I've never known a computer in my life that has actually let you know uh, that there's danger to the manifold, intake manifold, yeah, or yeah. exhaust manifold. What, what manifold? You which know, one? yeah. Like, thanks for letting me know, but which one is it? Yeah, like uh, it's, so, yeah, it's it was, hilarious. The opening scene, man. Like, I mean, literally, we had it picked at the opening scene because you know when um he's in the the eclipse, yeah, Paul Walker's in the eclipse, and he's trying to hit top speed or whatever the fuck he's doing in that car park yeah yeah and he spins out yeah just spins out (laughs) watch watch that again i don't know if you've seen it his reverse lights are on stop it (laughs) i'm gonna have to go i'm gonna have to go back and watch the (laughs) opening scene fucking instant instant issue with the movie i was like oh get fucked it's gonna be I think I think maybe I've got a very romantic idea about that movie and and you know I'll watch the first one a lot because we did same same um but I haven't watched it for a long time. So maybe I shouldn't go back and watch it because it might ruin a lot of things for me. No, I go back and watch it. It's, it's still good. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we all know it's just a horse shit. I and mean, I look where it's gone now. You know what I mean? They've gone to space. So yeah. What's it? Number 10 is coming out. Soon. Yeah. Number 10 is coming out soon. I don't expect a lot from that to be honest, but um, I don't know if I saw number nine. Did they actually go to space? Yeah. Is that a thing? Oh, yeah, I wrecked that for you. Yeah. They absolutely <laughs> did. All right. Maybe I'm going to watch it. All right. Yeah. In a Fiero. Vin Diesel astronaut. <laughs> oh, too good. Yeah, so yeah, that was that was sort of that era, and that was my formative attraction to cars and music and all that sort of stuff that went with it. Because yeah, that, that all sort of went hand in hand, I suppose. Yeah, nice. So at at that point, did you have like a sort of dream car that you wanted? Right. Well, I 
it's kind of embarrassing to talk about my first car, but I probably should talk about my first car because that kind of led into okay the main car. I was, I was trying not to go there. Like it gets, it's a very cliche question getting into your first car. Yeah, and it's but so it, easy, but yeah, I guess nah, it kinda, there's some cool stories that go with it. Yeah, so cool. We'll do it. Um, so my first car, um, you know, I was saving money pretty much to buy a VN Commodore with like an SV5000 body kit or something. Like yeah. I just wanted that modified car, but I didn't have a lot of cash and I, you know, I was just saving for whatever. Um, but I was able to like, my, my parents did help me out with a loan. Um, and I saw this Mitsubishi Lancer and it was a Mitsubishi Lancer with an Evo mock-up body kit. Yes. And it had wheels and exhaust extracted, all that sort of stuff, but it was still non-turbo. It was manual transmission, you know, but to look at it at a quick glance, you'd go, that's an Evo six. Like, you know, looks, looks dead ringer. The, the wide body rear fenders was the, the giveaway. So it had, you know, it, it was convincing. It was very convincing. Yeah. And, um, and that was the first car that I got. I think we spent 16 grand, um, got the loan, made it all happen. And that was my first car. So, it looked the business, but it had no power. Like it was just a standard 1.8 liter Lancer. And I started going along car cruises and, and Wednesday night meetups, you'd, you know, sort of meet up in, in Dandenong in the suburbs or whatever. And, you know, people would rock up in all different sort of cars and then you'd sort of go cruising off after that. And you end up on the highway where people are drag racing between the traffic lights and look, I couldn't drag race anyone. I get, I just kept getting left behind because the car had no, no power. And, and then I saw all these people, like a, a bunch of people um, in these coupes. They're like, hey, these kind of cool. What's that on the back? One says Sylvia. And this one had hot plate taillights. That one's Skyline. You're like, oh, yeah, these cars are pretty cool. And I had a couple of mates in the car with me. And, and um, we're just like, let's follow them. Let's see where they're going. And me, which is right, cool. We're just following these randoms at like midnight, I think it was. So we just went cruising. They were they were all friends already, and they're just like, "Who's this car following us?" So they started freaking out. They're like, "Who's this car following us?" And uh, they ended up pulling over at some point. We pulled up behind them and just, "Hey, I'm Tony. You know, Aaron. Blah blah blah." We just ended up meeting these people, and um, one of them is probably one of my best mates now. And, and I've known them for 22 years, like, which is insane just because I had a car and I rocked up. And the, the funny part was we kept meeting, meeting up every week because they would all go cruising every week. So I'm like, yeah, cool. I'll see you guys next Wednesday. No worries. And, um, I was always at the back of the pack cause I had one of the slowest cars. Um, and you know, this is probably a year or so has gone on, you know, got to know them, go to their birthdays, like, become really good mates. And, the, the car of the time was the S15. So Nissan 200SX S15. So we're talking, uh, this would have been, I, I had my P's, so it was 2002. Um, so that's when I finished high school. So I had my P's, I had the Lancer. And for about 12 months or so, uh, I was going on these car cruises in the Lancer. And I'm like, oh, I just wish I could get that S15, like the 200SX. It's just such a hot looking car. Um. And my, my folks, again, you know, they're absolute legends and, and I guess the car thing, you know, my, my mom and dad both know about car things and car addiction and how passionate you get about all the things. Um, they've gone, they, they were ready to put a pool in at, at home. You know, they were, they were sort of saving some money aside to, to put a pool in and, and they're, they're not swimmers or anything. I don't know why they were going to do it. And they're like, oh, you know, cause I mentioned this car over and over and this 200 SX, I love it. And they've gone, oh, well, 
you know, if you want to trade that car in, we'll we'll cover the difference, and then you can just pay us back on the difference of trading in the Lancer to get the the S fifteen. Um, and at the time it was like 30, 32 grand difference. So the S15 was 47, which is about what they're worth now, which is insane. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so it was 47 grand. I traded my Lancer in, I got pretty much what I paid for the Lancer. So I, I had it for a year and I didn't lose any money, which was great. So we did it. And, and, you know, I had a brand new, I got a brand new S15 new from Nissan in lightning yellow, and I was 19, I think it was. So wow. yeah, when I talk to people now about that, they're like, you had a new S15? Like people are frothing to be able to get one now just in reasonable condition. And I had one brand new from the dealer, which was insane. But I also had a $32,000 loan as a 19-year-old, which may be not the greatest of financial choices. Yeah, it's a little but scary, yeah. Anyway, so I, I didn't tell the guys that, that I'd bought this car. Like I was scheming behind the scenes. I, I never told the crew and the next Wednesday rolled around and I'm like, yeah, sorry guys. I'll be there a bit later. So I wanted to make sure all of them were there before I got there. Just real dickhead move. But anyway, um, it's such a flex because they were just waiting for me to rock up in this Absolutely. Evo mock-up Lancer. And then this S15 pulls up and they're like, whoa, you know, I'm still in the car and my mate was in the car. And they're just like, check it out, check it out. Like I could see him looking at the car because that was like the car that everyone wanted. Yeah. And then I get out of the car, this like 19-year-old kid from Cranbourne with a brand new sports car. <laughs> and they're like, what the fuck, you know, and they just lost it. Uh, a bit of jealousy in the group a little bit, a little bit, you know, but it, it ended up being all good. But um, that was the car that got me into drifting, which is going to be part of the conversation as well. Absolutely. Because it was a rear wheel drive car and the first car was a front wheel drive, just standard Lancer. Right. So this car was turbocharged six speed manual. As soon as it rained, it got a little slippery. So you're going around roundabouts and you're just correcting the oversteer and coming back to the question about mischief. This is where the mischief <laughs> began. So not that we condone it kids. Um, but yeah, there was there was sort of a group of people that started this, you know, going to industrial estates and getting a little bit silly behind the wheel in the wee hours of the night. And I'm just like, what are they doing? And it was just sliding around the corner on the on the brink of out of control. And this was, yeah, 2002, 2003, around that sort of time. Um, and I'm like, that looks like so much fun. I want to do it. And then, of course, I had to have a crack in my brand new, you know, six-month-old, not even six-month-old, like brand new sports car, like an yeah. idiot. Um, but anyway, I just started having a go. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing. We had no idea about modifications or anything. It was just drive into the corner and put your foot flat and see what happens. <laughs> and yeah, um, right. yeah, that's that was kind of my, my take on drifting because there was a couple of guys that were right into it and they'd been doing it for a little while. Um, and that was um, a couple of the guys from Full Lock Motorsport back in the day. Um, don't necessarily want to name names if I'm dobbing them in for street drifting. And that, no, but it was it was well back in the day. Um, and and they were just tandem drifting down the industrial estate, going left to right, opposite. And I'm just like, that looks insane. And I was just instantly hooked. So I'm like, I want to get involved with that. That's so cool. Um, yeah. So that the first car turned into the second car, which turned into the obsession of drifting and, and rear wheel drive sports cars and all that sort of stuff. So you, your second car ever and your yep. daily, you were drifting. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it was yeah, an S15 and it was brand new. It was brand new, yeah. And and because it was brand new, I'm like, well, well, I still want to modify it because I still love modified cars. So, of course, yeah. you know, I'm paying off a $32,000 loan, but then I'm getting a credit card and I'm going and buying wheels because, like, that's yep. the first thing you do with a car. So I got um, some 17-inch white Buddy Club P1s. And they were just good fitment. They worked. And I'm like, cool, these wheels look sick, but the car's still a little high, you know? Like, you could probably go with some coilovers. And then then some TN coilovers found their way under the arches and we lowered the car down. And then I'm like, well, it needs some attitude. So, like, the exhaust happened. So, you know, Fujitsubo exhaust was on there. And it was all Jap brand stuff because that's all you could get at the time. No one was doing... Yeah, that's there right. There was no China parts at the time. There was no... No one was really doing custom fabrication. It was That's just right. it was all overnight gotta, parts from Japan, huh? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, you know, I had this loan and I had this credit card, and I was in the worst financial position. It was just reckless and silly. And I don't necessarily regret that time, but better decisions could have been made. <laughs> Absolutely, it's a long time to dig yourself out of that hole, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. So, but look, I, yeah, had that car for three years. Um, it, yeah, it got wheels, coilovers, exhaust, um, you know, simple sort of stuff, drove it around for a bit, loved it. Um, should never have sold it. It's one of the ones that got away. You know, you hear those stories as well with car yeah. people. I should never have sold that one. Um, but that's why I have what I have now. And that's all these years later. That's why I've got an S15 again now. And, I just love the shape. I've got such a romantic view of that chassis and shape and, you know, formative years of making friendships with people, getting involved in a sport that I love. And, you know, we're talking 20 years ago now um, that I'm like, when I got back in, so I've been out of drifting for a little while. Um, I did all the adult things and bought a house and all that sort of stuff. And, and then I wanted to get back involved in 2018 and it had to be an S15, so I just started shopping for an S15 in 2018, um, which was a good time to do it. Yeah, absolutely. You if you waited another year, you were screwed. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I got in at the right time again, which is great. So For sure. Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, you mentioned music earlier. What kind, of, what kind of music do you get into? Yeah, well, I guess I, I'm going to say that music was a passion before cars, really, because um, – as a young fella, I, I grew up skateboarding. So, you know, and it's funny, it depends on how many drifters you talk to. They seem to be linked to some kind of other, you know, extreme sport or other type of sport. You know, you get a lot of BMX guys, you get a lot of, um, you know, FMX or, or dirt bike riders, uh, which I dabbled in all those things, but I was never really that good. But um, I skateboarded. So, what went along with skateboarding and crusty demons and motorbikes and all that sort of stuff was generally punk rock or heavy music. So yeah, I, I sort of, I was into um, like no effects and strung out and all of those iconic sort of skater punk um, bands of, of sort of Southern California, that style. Um, but then, yeah, it sort of just got heavier and heavier as the years went on. And, and yeah, now it goes right from punk rock right through to, um, you know, thrash, deathcore, you know, all that sort of real heavy stuff. Um, and then randomly you'll cop some electronic music and drum and bass and, and all sorts of other stuff that lands in my playlist too. So love Eminem, love Logic and some rap and R&B sort of stuff too. So I'm going to say mostly sort of on the heavy 
uh, yeah, punk rock and metal and heavy sort of side of things. But then it's nothing for me to be blasting Dre and Ice Cube all day as well, just for yeah, a change. Gotcha. And I love it too. So <laughs> I've, I've got a I've got a random question because it, it just popped up into my head. What was the yeah. first album like CD? Like album oh, or even tape that you bought. Oh, I know this. I know this. It's embarrassing as hell. Yes. Um. I'll, look, I'll, I'll hit you back when when you're done. Yeah. Cool. Mine's, cool. Mine's not, mine won't be much better. I can probably. <laughs> uh, it was Michael Jackson. Dangerous. Uh, yours is heaps better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Jackson. Dangerous. And like the guy's iconic, right? And like yeah. we can stand back now and sort of reflect on his his ability over the years. And obviously, a little bit strange, cat. Um, but he was, it was obviously in the charts in the nineties or whatever. And this would have been, I would have been 12 or something, or maybe younger. Um, whenever that album came out, I I had the cassette and then I got the CD because I think the CD came out not long. Our household is the exact same thing. Yeah. Come on, hit me with yours. This is good. All right. Mine was DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince. Code Red. Code Red. Oh, epic. That's where I was at. So it kind of went from there, but then all of a sudden, I don't know where the turning point was, but it was essentially, as as a kid, right, you just listen to whatever everyone around, everyone else around you is listening to. So you're in the car yeah. with your mum and dad, and it's whatever's yep. on the radio. So it's it's yep. all the pop stuff. It's always whatever's on the charts. Yep. And then all of a sudden, I kind of found a little bit of my own. But for, I don't know, for a year or two, I was buying things like that, you know what I mean? And it was yeah. whatever was on the charts and, and all that sort of year. But then all of a sudden, it just went bang over to Metallica. <laughs> you know what I mean just overnight and then I was I was a little bit late into that grunge era yes yeah like it was it was silver think, chair and stuff and yeah so I was probably just that little bit behind but it was still in the like I'm, I'm still of that generation so yes and it kind of went that way then it started to go heavy and then it took a weird turn around the limp biscuit mark right because all of a sudden you've got like Limp Biscuit and Corn, because all of a sudden you've got these hip hop influences into metal. Yeah, new metal, new metal of early two thousands, mate. It was wild, late nineties, yeah. early two thousands. Yeah. You no, know, so then it took a. I didn't really take a really weird swing then. Like it, it, all of a sudden, there's a thing where you know, like if you think back, Body Count was way ahead of that, weren't they? Matt, man, Ice T and his crew, yeah. like that's wild. Like to yeah. think that they were doing that. They were doing that in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, and I became a fan of them really only in the last probably ten years. Like, yep. you know, in the in the twenty tens or noughties or whatever yeah. you want to call it. I'm like yeah, body so. count. Who are these guys? I'm like, like rap and metal sort of fusion. I'm like, that's yeah. sick. And they were doing it in the eighties. Yeah. Yep. And um, yes, yeah, so it just it took that turn. It was so it went from like pop to metal, like thrash metal. Yeah. And then like new metal and hip hop made its way in that way. Yeah. And now it's kind of through all of that. It's just it's opened everything up so much. I love things, things that I listen to. Yeah, like like some of the metal, the metal and DJ fusion sort of stuff that's going on. There's a bit of that. There's, um, yeah, like everyone's experimenting with different things. Yeah. And and I think if you're a, if you're a music enthusiast and you just you can appreciate the 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 mu- musical talent and the creativity. Um, sort of like bring it on you know i love the creativity and just just go your hardest what i i mean i talk about this uh, like a fair bit which is with my mates music has a power like it it really has a power over people and and if you think about it you've got one person who's you know you say you want to learn guitar so 
it takes years. Like it's hard. You, you don't like doing it when you first start. I've, I've tried, you know, you sort of get to the callous fingertips bit and you just like, I just suck. I can't play a tune. It's just terrible. Right. So, so you persevere and you get to a point where you're reasonably good. And then you meet some other people who have gone through the same journey with their instruments and they playing drums or bass or whatever, or vocalist. And then you've got all of those people collectively that come together and they're all okay. And then, and then, you hope that then you can create something together, which is, I mean, people are hard enough to get along with together with all the things we like and don't like. And I like the heating up. I like the aircon on. I like, you know, it's hard enough to have people to come together on anything. So you get five or four creative people to come together. And then you talk about bands like Metallica or the Beatles or, you know, any of those sort of bands that have spanned multiple decades and you go, that's magic. Generations. Yeah. That's magic to be able to create like that individually and then be able to come together and create and then make tens of thousands of people sing your songs all around the world. Like that's, that's magic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I love that. Thinking about it like that. Yeah. It's, it's one thing like people sort of sit and go, Oh, you know, they changed and, and whatever else. Like a band's not going to play the same shit all the time. No. Like they're they're going to beat each other's throats if they're doing that. Like they've got to be able to sort of move and change and express themselves and whatever else. And um, you know, band members come and go because of that. Yeah, you know, they start butting heads or whatever. Like it happens. Yeah, you know, and that that'll change the dynamic of a band and and the sound and all that sort of gear. Um, but without that, it doesn't evolve. It doesn't. It, yeah. it just stays the same. And yeah. um that's that's one thing like i used to be the same i used to be oh they've changed yeah not what they used to be i look back at that now like if you just just to name a band corn if you look back through their their discography right every single album of theirs changed yes and back then we hated it yeah but now you listen to that music man it is fucking phenomenal yep all the way through yep all the way through yeah, and it's it's growth of the band, it's growth of the music, and and we look at what bands are producing now. You know, you couldn't do it without the evolution. So, you know, if we're still listening to, and I would happily listen to Sabbath and some of those early rockers from from the seventies or whatever, but you know, those guys were were sort of pioneering that sound. But then the likes of Corn came along, and then the likes of all these other things, and you know, we wouldn't have some of the bands we've got now because they were the influence of the prior generations and all the little things that they've changed. And uh, I love that music's an evolving beast. It's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Really cool. So I mean, I've been going to live music since I was 15. So, Oh, sorry. Probably before that. Um, yeah. My, my first, yeah. I like, we're going to go down a mute, like maybe a bit of a car podcast. We'll go down to music. Yeah, sorry guys. We'll no, no, it's all good. <laughs> it goes hand in hand. We'll circle back. We'll put a pin in it. We'll circle back. <laughs> But the first ever concert I went to with my parents were the Beach Boys. Yeah, right. So that was, I don't know where it was. I remember it was an outdoor concert and I was i was like 10, something. I was young, around that sort of age. But then the one that really sort of changed things for me, dad took me to the ACDC Ball Breaker Tour in 1996. So I was 11 or 12 years old. Yeah. Wow. And I think that was at whatever Rod Laver Arena was called well back in the day um and that was wild like big wrecking ball you know like the hot and they put on such a good show and then probably 20 years later like they'd tour it a few more times but i made sure i took dad to one of the last acd tours acdc tours that came out 
you know, in the last five years or so. And it was at Eddie had and yeah, ACDC t-shirts in the pit down front, you know, and, and just having the best time all those years later. So it's, um, yeah, I, like I've been going to live music all that time since, since, you know, 12 to 15, but then I started going to concerts when I was 15 and onwards and yeah, big day outs, sound waves, download festival. Uh, we got not fest coming up. Um, yeah. I'm actually going to Europe, Europe this year and I'm going to Wacken. So, oh yeah. Yes. That's awesome. Four day. Well, so the trip I'm planning with a mate is six weeks in Europe. We're going to do um, Dubai to go to the Ferrari, Ferrari world um, and a few other things, but uh, we're going to gate bill in Norway. Um, so that's going to be three days of just insane car activity um goodwood festival of speeds on at the same time so we're going to try and do at least one or two days at goodwood um there'll be a motorhome at one point uh we're going to go to italy and rent a ferrari you know switzerland doing the swiss alps like pretty much you name it and and it's going to be a music and car european extravaganza that's amazing dude so i might have some content for you when i come back from all that craziness (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'll um yeah, I'll be vicariously watching your social media for sure. I'll, I'll yeah. listen to you. Yeah, I'll get get myself a, a vlog camera, like separate to my GoPro and everything else. And I reckon that'll be that'll be one of the first that I really make a concerted effort to document what I get up to. I mean, I'm, I share a lot of my stuff on uh, on Insta, and and that's all cool. You know, people communicate back and forward. It's really cool. But yeah, the amount of times people have just said, mate you know, you go to some wild places, you do some cool things with your job and some of the side hustle things you do. And, um, you know, people are interested in some of the things that they don't get access to all the time. You know, I, I like the behind the scenes sort of stuff of car events and it's cool. And, and I love sharing that too. So yeah, I, sh- I should make more of an effort when I get some sure. time. <laughs> time. Time is the key though, isn't it? Budgeting the time. Yep. Yeah. Nice. So the, the first concert I ever went to was Frenzel Rom excellent dude that was so crazy i had i didn't really I, I knew their music but i didn't really know it you know what i mean like yeah i'd heard a couple of songs here and there yeah i didn't really know it i didn't even know what i was i was going to expect walking in there like I didn't oh, know wild. What people would be like i did not expect it to be as wild as it was by the end of the night man i was crowd surfing and everything yeah but um yeah that was that was insane well coming back to that limp biscuit era i think they they were destined to play at the big day out in melbourne uh, but they cancelled it after the young girl um, yeah, I was there had a heart attack. Yep. Yeah, so that was in Sydney and, and they played the next, sorry, it was like the next day that the yep. Melbourne Big Day Out was on. Um, and obviously Limp Bizkit were like, yeah, no, we're going home. Um, and Friends of Rhyme are from Sydney as well. So like they were playing as well. Because I think, I mean, people can be pretty insensitive about different situations and stuff and people are yelling, you know, um, calling Limp Bizkit weak for going home and all, you know, all that sort of stuff. And they're pretty rude about it all. It was pretty yeah, bad. Yeah. But then, um, yeah. If, um, oh, who's the singer from Friends? It's not the doctor. The doctor's the one of it. Um, was it, oh, that was it. Oh, Jay rings a bell. My name's Jay. Yeah. 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 Um, I, he was just, he was just ruthless, just getting stuck into the Melbourne crowd. Yeah, and they right. played a pretty full on show at that big day out. Like, yeah, yeah right. I just remember like, cause you know, people were picking on Sydney people and all that sort of stuff. And I'm yeah. like, Oh, don't do that. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. No, that was that was a that was a pretty bad one actually. Yeah, and I can only imagine what because I, I I mean I didn't see them right so like to to see Limp Bizkit in two thousand or two thousand and one whenever that was 
in the height of their popularity and everything else like that would have been a wild show. It was, and, yeah, it was insane, dude. And I think so many things of, you know, crowd control and stuff like that and how they do the barriers and all that sort of stuff yeah. has probably come from, you know, yeah. that unfortunate situation. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, nice, pretty man. wild. We'll, we'll swing back around now, get back into cars. Yeah, we'll, that's um, cool. Everyone can start listening again now. <laughs> <laughs> took, so, took a toilet break and come back, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, so getting into drifting. Yeah. Uh, so what, what kind of, what year, around what year was that? We're looking right. that, that was a brand new car in 2002. Yeah. So around the 03, 04 sort of era. Yeah. Spot on. So yeah. the car was a 2002 build and I got it in the start of 2003, roughly. Um, so I, I reckon I'd had my Lancer for over a year or so. Um, you know, started driving the, the S15 and, um, yeah, the full lock guys were starting to get in contact with Caldwell Park. Um, and they were, you know, hey, we want to rent the place. We want to do, you know, we want to tr- take this stuff off the streets and make it legitimate. Um, and they started doing the practice nights um, at Calder Park on a Wednesday night. And it was, yeah, I think it was 2003, in the mix of 2003 into 2004. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was a Wednesday night, probably not every month, but it was maybe every second month or so. Um, and again, we didn't have a lot of horsepower in the cars. They were all pretty basic and and yeah, you just sort of... But again, I rocked up in the brand new S15. I just took my stockies along, took the buddy clubs off on the back, put the stock wheels on the on the back and, and just went out. And I've got this really cool photo actually that um, I parked the car the next day and I still had the like the chalk number on the side of the car yeah. from the drift night the night before. And it's like, you know, not even a 12 month old um, S15. I thought people for sure thought I was mad. They're like, what are you doing? And I wasn't any good. Like we're all learning. Yeah, so like, right. it's not the car to learn in. Um, but ironically, it turned into be a pretty good car to learn in because it's simple. It's, it's new. Everything works. You know, I don't have to fix anything cause it's, it's all in good condition. It's all good quality. Um, and it wasn't that modified. So, you know, you know, no issues. So like it was a really reliable car, which was yeah. great. But again, went back to parents and I'm like, look, I'm really interested in this drifting stuff. This is pretty cool. And, you know, I've done a couple of track nights now and that's the way I want to go with it. But I really think I need a car that's just like a dedicated drift car rather than trying to drift my street car. So can I, can I come back to the bank of parents and top up my loan again? And they're like, nah, no more money champion. <laughs> Get out. So I still owed them however much I owed them. I can't remember. And I went and got a personal loan and I imported an S13. So in 2004, I had an S13 track car, drift car only, and an S15 street car, like, I was living S chassis dreams in the in the early days of the two thousands. I can hear all those people swearing at you right now. I'm sorry, guys. Like you know, <laughs> um, but hey, if you want to have the forty grand debt or whatever that goes with it, then you know it, there weren't logical decisions. It was pure passion because I was just addicted to it. Yeah. Um, but the first dedicated drift car I had was uh, a green S thirteen. CA18 um, stock turbo, just, you know, um, LSD bucket seat had a half cage. I was like one of the first people to have a roll cage in a car that rocked up on the, on the practice nights. Cause everyone was still driving their street cars. They would have loved you. Yeah. They're just like, whoa, this is a full on race car. I'm like, it's 
basically a standard <laughs> S13 with with a cage that looked wild, but it had a massive Band-Aid sticker on the side of the car and um, a I few people. those. Yeah. Band-Aids and the like, punched out cats. Yeah, huge. There wasn't any damage. It was just... just the it Band-Aid, was, yeah. It was just some Band-Aid thing that... Because that, I bought the car through J-Spec Imports um, in Melbourne um, and it was a Drift Teams car in Japan. So it was Team Overflow and they all had green cars and they all had Band-Aids. It was their thing. Um, but yeah, the Band-Aid wasn't actually covering any damage at the time. It was just a big Band-Aid on the door. Um, and yeah, people sort of remembered the car as the Band-Aid Silvia and it was bright green. You couldn't really miss it. And um, and then, yeah, all the modifications and iterations of that car happened over the years, you know, like it was a CA. I thought, well, probably SR swap and, and you know, a few other modifications, a bit easier to get parts for an SR20. Um, so we found a S14 front cut found i don't know where bought it through an importer or whoever wherever it was for sale um so we s14 swapped the s13 so uh, the later model sr20 um you know stainless manifold the ball bearing t28 because it was from a jap car um this was before e85 so it was just pump 98 um power of c i think was the thing at the time yeah that sounds I mean, a bit right it's all that vintage yep um and i think it was you know maybe 200 kilowatts or 180 kilowatts or something and i'm like this thing's a rocket you know thinking it's the fastest thing in the world and uh some of the other guys that had cars around that era had a disco potato so like they had the 2867 equivalent or whatever it was called back in the time and 230 kilowatts on an SR was like, man, you've got a pro car. Like, this is insane, you know. And people don't rock up to the track with less than 300 kilowatts these days. Like, it's it's funny how, you know, that whole time yeah. changed. But, um, yeah, so, you know, we painted the car. Um, well, actually, the reason why it got painted was uh, I ended up selling the S15 because I wanted to try and get rid of some of my debt. Like, I was in a lot of debt. I had the track car, I had a street car, I couldn't really afford to modify both of them and enjoy both of them how I wanted. So I thought what I'll do is I'll sell the S15, I'll buy another, I'll buy a 180. So I'll buy something that's a bit cheaper that I can still have as a street car and I've got the S13 as a track car and I can take 10 or 15 grand off my loan. I thought that was all logical and reasonable until I bought a smashed car that I didn't investigate too hard and it was put back together pretty ordinary and... Uh, that was a bit unfortunate, but it was a white Type X 180. And again, Type X, people like, ooh, you know, like that was the dream. Like I sold an S15 to buy a Type X. It's kind of like I went backwards. Yeah. But the car was cool. But yeah, unfortunately, it'd been in a, a pretty serious front ender um, and they just dodgy fixed it. And I was just, as soon as I saw it, I loved it. So I had to have it. And yeah, I didn't check it out enough. And that was my uh, my little burn moment. So I think I lost five grand. I sold it a few months later, but I said to the dude, um, I'm like, man, I'm going to sell this car. This is all what happened. This is how I bought it, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he's like, yes, he knew everything up front. He goes, yeah, no, you know, panel, I can stick it on the rack. I can straighten it out or whatever. Like it still drove okay. Like yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't terrible and yeah. it looked like it'd been repaired okay, but it still wasn't great. Like it wasn't as clean as they were selling it out, like making it out to be. Um, so I thought, well, I got rid of the 180 and now I've got this S13 track car and I'm like, well, I might as well just register that, right? Because that's that's a good idea. Let's just register your race car. So I pulled the cage out, put the put carpet and seats back in, sort of made it as clean as I could to get through roadie and then obviously got it registered and put all that stuff straight back into it like we all do. 
and um, we were just doing some development work with the car and we were playing around with some modifications and I got an electronic boost controller because everyone just had bleed tap boost tees yeah, in the right, time yeah. and it's sort of like mystery boosts. Who knows what we're going to run this week? Um, but as soon as we got the electronic boost controller, it's like, cool, you can adjust settings and you can adjust the gain of how, how hard the boost comes on, all that sort of stuff. It was pretty tricky tech in 2004, 2005, whenever it was. Um, so we had to we had to do a couple of runs to sort of achieve boost to be able to play with the gain and settings. So we've got, oh, we'll go in the back streets. There's no one around. Like We'll just do a couple of pulls up and down. We'll play with the gain. I had the mate in the car with me. And um, yeah, highway patrol going the other way and I'm in top of fourth or something or clicking third gear into fourth. Um, and I didn't see him. You know, it was like 11 o'clock at night, not another car on the road. I'm focusing on driving. You know, my mate's running the boost controller. We're doing all this sort of stuff. And, you know, they were just on me so quick because they just didn't put the lights on until they turned around. They obviously caught right up because I wasn't expecting anything. I was just turning around and going back to his house. Yep. Um, but that was, that was the month that they brought in the Hoon Laws in Victoria and the car got impounded. Oh. So they took the car on the spot on the tow truck. They took photos of it, the whole lot. Um, it was impounded for a couple of days. You, when, when you get impounded, you've got to pay for the towing. You've got to pay for the storage. So that's the only way you can get your car out is you're yep. effectively paying for the towing and storage. And at the time it was only two days. Uh, but now I think it's, if you get impounded, it's a month. So okay. you've got to pay for towing and storage for a month. For the month, yeah, right. So it's it's quite a lot more expensive to get done doing silly things these days. Uh, but this would have been like, yeah, 05 or 06. Uh, lost my license for a year. Uh, ended up costing about three grand by the time the fines and court fees and all that sort of stuff came through, about 500 bucks in towing. So that was a bit of a, bit of a wake-up call financially and, and you know, responsibly um so i thought right well they took photos of this car i'm going to repaint the car because it's going to stand out it's it's yeah. a, you know green s13 in in the southeast the cops are all going to know the car you know i'm going to get hounded so we thought we'd bring it home and paint it um so it went matte black which was the worst paint job you've ever seen in the world um that's heaps less <laughs> yeah yeah but <laughs> but you know it, it, did, it wasn't glossy right so like yeah. at least at night it wouldn't stand out as much but I'm not a panel beater by any stretch of the imagination and painting the car with too much air and not enough paint made it like sandpaper texture. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so there was a few times I tried to wash the car with a foam sponge and you just run the foam sponge across the paint and it just ate the sponge because <laughs> it was so tech, it was so rough and coarse. Well, it was a terrible paint job, um, but it was black and, you know, I could sort of get around for a bit longer and, um, I don't know. I bought, I think I bought something else after that just as a street car, but sorry, no, no. Oh my God. Um, it was right around the time I saw stages like a Nissan stage. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, right, well, I still want something I can drive every day. That's cool. That maybe can carry tires and tools and all this other stuff. So I messaged the guys at J spec again about importing a stagia. Um, and we found a, Series two, no, it was series one, but it had series two tail lights, so it's got the clear tail lights on the back. Bayside blue um, paint job, full kit, wheels, coilovers, blah blah blah, the whole lot. Manual manual gearbox as well, and I was ready to do the deposit, and that was like when I got done for speeding. So I'm like, guys, I got to pull out of this one. 
because I'm not going to be able to drive for a year. I don't know how much this is going to cost me. So I canned it. And, and yeah, I didn't have a car. I had the S13 in the shed, but I couldn't drive it for a year. Um, and then I got into old cars. So that was a little bit interesting. So, yeah, that whole year I just rode my push bike to work, got a lift with friends, and I'm like, man, this is such an inconvenience. Like driving really is a privilege, you know. Like It is. It when it gets is. taken off you, <laughs> um, you really, yeah, you really miss it. So, squeaky clean ever since so the the system works i guess you'd say yeah um but yeah i was i was man i wanted to stage you so bad um didn't go through with it but yeah then i then i started getting into old cars so when i was growing up as a as a young lad my my parents had a um zh fairlane so 1978 ford fairlane um and i remember getting our very first dog and my sister was on, you know, big back seat, big car. I remember being, you know, would have been really little, but I remember getting our first dog and my sister's on the other side. I'm on this side and the dog was in the middle. It was a little Jack Russell puppy. So between the two of us, we were holding this puppy coming home and I just had really fond memories of that old Fairlane. I really loved it. Um, so I, I tracked one down that was similar and yeah, I ended up driving a Fairlane around as a street car for a couple of years, I think it was. Um, and that was a cool daily. It was on LPG, so it was pretty cheap. Um, I had my license back at that point. I still had the drift car as well. So yeah. Yeah. Nice. But I've had a whole bunch of different cars as well. <laughs> awesome. Can't help yourself, right? Like car dudes. No. Can't well, help ourselves. <laughs> see, I've, um, my problem is I've had a lot of cars, but none of them have, none of them drive. Yeah. Okay. I've had a lot of projects. Right. Yeah. I get <laughs> stuck on problem. that too. And, yeah. um, but I've always had multiple projects at once. Like right now I have oh yeah. A, a D twenty two Navara, which yep. is my current drift truck. Right. Yep. Um I have a Subaru Brumby sitting behind it, which is going to be the next drift truck. Yep. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. I've got a nineteen sixties Beetle sitting next to that. Okay. Which is actually my daughter's. That's gonna be her first car. Awesome. So that's that's the projects at the moment, and yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd more than happily buy another one if 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 my wife permitted. You know what? Like, I need to be banned from marketplace for sure because I've yeah, got like the... all these saved searches, and when something pops up, I get a notification like it's bad news. Yeah, I've got one, two, three. I've got four project cars, I guess you'd say, in some yeah. iteration already. Plus my my van, which is my tow car, which is kind of a camper project as well. Yeah. And then my normal daily drive. I've got six cars and a Harley. Like I've got enough things. I don't I don't need any more. No, but it's right. not a it's not about need, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, exactly. it's not about need, it's about want. Exactly. I'm looking <laughs> through, I'm doing the, the marketplace thing at the moment because um turning a Subaru Brumby into a drift anything. Yep. Um, obviously it's not going to have Brumby parts underneath it. So I'm looking at all the things on marketplace now, like, uh, R33, R33 rear cradles or, um, like AU IRS rear cradles and all that sort of thing. That's, I'm actually having to stop myself. Like I find myself about to message a dude and I'm like, what am I doing? Space just yet. Yeah. Once I I get the the space and, and, and the, the room to work on the thing. Yeah. Get rid of one to, to work on the other. And that's when I'll get into doing that sort of stuff. Yeah. But it's so hard to do. It's so hard that that willpower is, has got to be strong. Well, the point like, this is, this is just it, right? So for every one car 
you have as a project, you need two car spaces, realistically. At least. That's the rule of thumb, right? So like if you can park the car on one side of the shed, you need one empty side of the shed to be able to, if you're going to pull the engine out, if you're going to pull yep. the interior out, you need space to work. So for every one car, you need two spaces. Yep. Not many people have got, like I've got four cars right now. It's dumb. I don't have an eight car garage. They're sitting in the backyard <laughs> under car covers like a savage. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I'm, I'm playing it constantly playing yep. musical chairs, moving cars around to be able to work on anything. It's, it's really quite, yeah. and quite if challenging. Any, if any one of those cars is an old Volkswagen, you need two extra car spaces. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause you got to yeah. pull a shell off and then you need that extra car space. So, Well, some of the Damn. old cars, like Damn. I've had F100s back in the day. Yep. So, um, I was going to make a sort of mini truck F100 um, out of a cab. And, in there, so, yeah. So, you know, it took the cab off the chassis, but then I collected a HQ chassis and a Jag rear end and, and this hot rod dude that I knew through through Autobahn at, at work, you know, he was going to graft in the Jag diff rear end stuff because that's really common for old school hot rodding. Yep. The Jag front end as well gave you really good lock. The HQ chassis was going to take Chev engine mounts pretty easy so you could LS swap it. So I was going to have an LS F truck, you know, low to the ground, just static low, but it yeah. would be low. Um, so that was a project at the time. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. That's that's a HQ chassis, an F100 chassis, a cab, a, like you need four yeah. car spaces. Cab, really. a tub, yeah. and engines, yeah. Hectic, yeah, hectic. Yeah. But no, the, the journey of cars is, the, all these stories as well, like I love being able to talk about it and, you know, it's usually over a beer with your mates in the shed yeah. or whatever. It's it's really cool. And, and being able to do stuff for your family, that's great. Like the, yeah. the beetle, that, that'd be cool. Yeah, she's always wanted a Herbie. Her whole life, That's she's just wanted a Herbie. So we got her one. And look, there's history behind this car too. It's actually one of the old Speedway cars. Yeah. From Parramatta Speedway. It's one of the old mud packers. Okay. So we're going to try. I look, I don't know. It's going to test my fabrication skills, but we're going to try and get it back on the road. Yeah, cool. At the very least, she's going to be able to learn to drive in it. So, yeah, yeah, and that's depending where yeah. that is. I don't know, but that's cool to have that. You know, to have again, like same as my old man and, and working on cars. Like you've got that connection with the next generation. Um, that's that's really cool, formative memories, and yeah. and yeah, it's really valuable. So, no, good stuff. Nice. I like it. <laughs> back, back in the early days of drift for you who were some of the guys you were looking out to um well i guess the idea of traveling um the, the idea of traveling for drifting so let's let's talk about local to start with um you know we didn't really get too exposed to other states of what other states were doing um not not in those early days anyway it yeah. was just our little bubble yep um the national series sort of started um like toyo drift nationals was the first one and you sort of had a couple of interstaters come along um and the first cars that i saw that were local cars that i'm just like man that's so sick i want to try and replicate that was um uh was uh the d1 garage cars from south australia so people probably remember them um you know, danny verhumus um trent hewitson who's actually my tuner now so a bit of a shout out to trent at checkered um he had the red 180sx um, Danny had the strawberry face. That was an S14, 15 front. And they just looked like Japanese drift cars. And I'm like, man, you guys have got it right. And I'm not going to try and pretend like me being into it in 2002, 2003, I'm an OG. It seems like the South Australian guys just pipped us a little bit. Like they just seemed to have yeah. it a little bit before everyone else. 
and um and i guess some of the other local local talent as well um you know christian pickering corporal who, who does um origin lab body kits and stuff now you know he was one of the ogs at the time who, who actually you know traveled around with his drift car in those early years um so there was a few cars that i thought man these guys are awesome um and then locally you know i'm like who's this guy with a black 180sx you know this car looks clean like the fabrication's awesome um and it was yeah it was nigel petrie back in the day as well so engineered to slide so you know i remember seeing you know rocking up at the same track practice nights you know he's from geelong and he'd sort of come up to up to calder park and i'd come from cranbourne so we're coming on the other each you know meeting at calder park from the other side of the bay and, and you just sort of see these cars and um yeah it was just really cool to see local guys pretty much just watching option video option dvd yeah. from japan and trying to replicate some of the cars and, yeah. and some of the styles but um you know um kazuma um you know um tanaguchi and stuff like that that well they had all these and they were pretty much all s15s when i had an s15 yeah because it was the newest most popular chassis so like all the d1 cars in japan were all you know like kazuma had the green one and and you know the hks tanaguchi had the red one and it was just like pick which one you loved and and i'm just like all the s15s of that era i just absolutely loved them and and they weren't crazy power by today's standards but but that was just i've got probably got them up on the wall there i do actually all the option dvds up yeah. on the wall there nice. um I don't know where I got them from. Probably, I think JB Hi-Fi was stocking them a little bit at the time. Yeah, I think so. Like certain stores yeah. or some people that worked in JB Hi-Fi pushed to get them and, and they sort of had them there. Um, but yeah, just watch Option DVD. Try and style your car like the Japanese guys, which was cool. And then some of the local guys had already started doing that. So yeah, the um, South Australians, oh, I'll certainly give them a bit of kudos because they were pretty early to the game on that like OG sort of Jap style. Yeah, nice. Uh, but yeah, that was they were all the people I sort of looked to. But, you know, I didn't, you know, America didn't exist for us. They were all learning about drifting at the same time yeah, as us. Absolutely, yeah. So like America didn't exist. So, you know, it was none of those guys were in the picture. So really it was just local and, and Japanese talent was, was yeah. sort of who I'd sort of go, hey, if I could be half as good as that guy, I'd be stoked. Nice. Yeah. Have, have you... You know, obviously travel wasn't a massive thing at the time, but have you been able to travel around um, to a lot of a fair few tracks in Australia now? Or? Well, me driving only one other track outside of uh, yep. Victoria, uh, but me for work and side hustles and all the other things I do. Yes, I've I've been able to experience nearly every track aside from Perth. So, um. Got to try and make some connections in Perth because I want to get over there as well. Like Barbagello is a pretty killer place, and it's a really high speed track. It looks looks like uh, looks like a good time. But um, the only track that I got to drive um, outside of Victoria was Pheasantwood at Maroon. Right, okay. And now there's no more drifting there, so Hope, there's, hopefully, man. Yeah, like the guy can't see it coming back for the foreseeable future. So it's just. And, and I guess that probably leads into a, a, a quite a long-winded story of how that all came about was yep. um, it was right before COVID. So I had I had concert tickets booked for the Download Music Festival in Melbourne, which was on the same weekend as the Keep It Reet, Reet Surrey at the Pheasantwood track. 
and I already had tickets to download. And I'm like, well, it's on the same weekend. You know, I've already got tickets. Like, this is really what I want to do. I mean, I'd love to be able to drive at Pheasantwood, but I've already made, I've already got the tickets, whatever. The weekend before that was the Melbourne Grand Prix F1. And we had corporate tickets uh, for some of our customers through the V8 Supercar paddock because we sponsor V8 Supercars. So um, this was the like literally the week that the COVID thing was breaking out and, and you know, people of media hysteria and all the craziness that were going on. So we had our tickets. It was the Friday and um, we just went to the track. We thought, right, I've got my customers with me. I've got our, our um, like V8 Supercar pit passes and we're like well we'll we'll try because the radio was like you know chaos is going and all this covid stuff is breaking out but let's have a go we got right to the gate and they're like no the event shut down cancelled you know the drivers are on planes heading back to their home countries like i think sebastian vettel was already gone like the day before or something and they didn't you know so i think everyone was just like scrambling not not knowing how to live it was just a wild time so the F1 got cancelled, so we just went to the pub because we're like, well, COVID's not here yet, really. You know, it's 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 yeah. out there in the world, but it wasn't really here, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's, it's on aeroplanes at the moment. <laughs> yeah. So we're just like, well, the F1's cancelled. Let's just go to the pub. So we did. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, like social media was blowing up, the radio, TV, everything was blowing up. And everything was just getting cancelled. One thing after another, cancelled, cancelled, cancelled. So because the F1 was on this particular weekend, the next weekend was the download music festival and they put out on socials that they were canceling as well. So I'm like, shit, what am I going to do? And it was fine. Cause you got, I got my ticket money back. You know, they were, yeah. they were good about refunding everything, but I'm like, Oh, the pheasant would read series on and my car sitting in the shed. Like I could, I could go. So I messaged Jason Ferrin. I'm like, Hey, you know, is there any spots left? He's like, yeah, no worries. You know, just pay for it. I'm like, yeah, cool. Um, and I'm like, holy shit, I'm going interstate to go drifting right as COVID's breaking out. Like what is going on? (laughs) And this was so the next weekend, right? So this is the Friday. So I don't know what I did for the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday or so in the the work week, but I think on the Thursday, roughly, or the Friday, we, we went up to Pheasantwood. Um, my parents had got a motorhome, so they were touring around a little bit. So they've gone, we'll tow your car up and we'll come to the track and watch and, you know, um, we'll, we'll tow your car back as well. So you can just go to work, do your job and just load up your tires and stuff in your van and, and come up to Pheasantwood. So we got there and I'm like, man, this place is so cool. And again, social media was just a frenzy. People were freaking out about all the stuff going on and Pheasantwood was just a a an escape. It was a It was a like, you know, a racetrack mecca where we're avoiding the radio. Like we didn't put the radio on. We're just literally in drift bubble heaven. And it was the last weekend of drifting Um, at this point. Hopefully we get it back at some point. I don't know, but that was the last weekend of drifting and it was, you know, noise complaints or something. Cause the owners of Pheasantwood were amazing. The guy that was running it, I can't remember his name now, legend of a bloke. The facilities were fantastic. You know, everyone at the track was respectful of the track. We, we all did what we had to do. There was no nothing above board. I did hear of someone doing something down the street on the way out, but no, not picking on them, but it was a, I think it was a Commodore or something or like he didn't get scrutinied or, yeah. 
there was some some negativity about it, and I think he did a burnout out the front of the gate because he was a bit pissed off about whatever yeah. happened. Um, that's secondhand information, obviously. I don't know, but that's what I heard. So I don't know if that helped contribute a little bit to you know residents in the area yeah. sort of seeing and hearing or whatever of unruly behaviour. Um, but yeah, that weekend was the the last weekend of drifting, and that's the only time I've ever drifted outside of Victoria. Um, and that was, yeah, March, 2020. Um, and it was, you know, I guess on, on the other topic as well, um, it was the last time I got to drive with Chris. So not long after that, um, yeah, he, uh, he, he left the chat, so to speak. Yeah. So, um, it was really surreal. Like that, that, you know, COVID was breaking out the series of events that went on. I wasn't supposed to be at Pheasant Wood, but I ended up being able to go to Pheasant Wood, drive the track for the last time and then drive for the last time with one of my good mates. So, yep. yeah. So we'll, I guess we'll, we'll jump over to that because it's, um, it's something that I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty close to, I think it's pretty close to everyone these days. Um, but I know it's definitely something very close to your heart and you, you wanted to bring this up, which yeah. is amazing. Um, I always sort of, ask people if they want to add anything to the, the run sheet that I do um, put out and you're the first one to come back and say, Hey, I want to talk about this. So yep. I'll yep. let you take the floor with this and, and we'll, we'll go with it. Yeah. So, um, so I guess for the, for the Australian drift fans, you'd probably know the name Krista Jager somewhere in the archives of uh, competition drifting all over Australia. Um uh, being a judge and supporting of, of different events. You know, he donated a lot of his time to uh, helping other people with their cars as well. And, and it's just an all round good personality in the space, uh, you know, really deep thinker, really passionate about the sport. Um, he, so we got into drifting at a similar time. So he was around that sort of 2002, 2003, yep. Had his R33 Skyline with with big chromey wheels on the front, and we sort of like, what's this auto salon car looking thing? And <laughs> sort of picked on him a little bit, but he, you know, he'd just rock up at the track with his tires and stuff, and he'd just go about his thing because he loved it, just like the rest of us. Um, but I didn't really network with him too much then because we're all just sort of in our own little bubbles and yeah. we're all just learning, and that was all good. But um, he ended up getting a job at um, Autobahn head office as um, like the performance category manager li- liaison sort of customer service person so yeah, right. i was working at um autobahn in cranbourne and i guess this this was the time when we had blitz and greddy and trust products on the shelf in an autobahn store which you know for anyone that's involved in the scene in the last 15 years probably would never know that um but for a few years there you know i'd have all this stuff in stock and and chris was one of the main guys at head office who i'd ring to and and we Honestly, we just chatted about cars every day. It's like we were pretending like we were working, but we were just talking about cars all day, every day. Um, and I'd be like, hey, I've got a customer with a Skyline or whatever. What have we got in stock? Or, you know, have we got some cool stuff? So, yeah, that's sort of, you know, I probably met him at different events, but but that was the time that I really got to know him. Um, and it was just, yeah, a bit of a work relationship, which was which was really cool. And, um, yeah, it was sort of 2008... 2009 he was talking about packing up and moving to japan because he was just like i love drifting so much um this is where it's all about so i'm going to go there and yeah he moved it was either in 2009 or early 2010 um 
him and his um, partner Chance, they they moved to Japan and moved to Niomatsu right near um, Ibisu Circuit. Um, and he'd just go on, you know, mechanic at, at um, power vehicles with, with Andy and Emily and, and he was just helping out around the place. He goes, if we can just make enough money so that I can keep living the drift life. Um, that's what he was all about. Um, and yeah, he had his non-turbo Sylvia and they would go drifting around Abyssu Circuit as soon as it rained because it was free tyres. So as the second raindrops hit, they were on track and they were just driving lap after lap. And he did so much driving and so much development in that time. And he learned so much about himself and the car control that this was 2010, um, that he was just so in tune with the sport and he was so right into it that when he came back home, you know, he was great a great support to so many other people. And then, you know, obviously he was competing at, at the national level here before he went to Japan. And then I think again afterwards, um, but he, he, he won the G1 GP, uh, which is like the Gaijin, you know, foreigner G1 yep. um, uh, competition at Abisu circuit. He won that a couple of times uh, and he, and he ended up winning himself an opportunity for a D1 license. So um, I don't, I don't think he was the first one, but he was around one of the first foreigners to earn his way through that path to get yeah, to a D1 right. license without just buying a D1 license, I suppose. Yeah. So there's not many foreigners that are competed in D1 at that time, uh, but he earned his way through just being, you know, an absolute passion for it and, and loved it. So, um, so he bought a, or he was, yeah, he was working on a um, chaser, or, yeah, JZX, um, I think it was 100, but then a 90. So he had a he had a pretty bad crash, and he wrote the car off. Um, and then they reshelled the car, rebuilt the car, and it really just took a mental and financial toll on him because he's like, well, if I'm going to Japan to compete, I'm giving it everything I've got, and and it was a real struggle. And and certainly he came back from that time, you know, no money, broken person, like actually physically hurt from the accident, like yeah. he wrote the car off. Um, and just mentally and, and physically exhausted from trying to reshell and rebuild the the life over there. And he still says, you know, obviously said it was great experience and, and a real challenge, but he sort of, it wasn't quite the same sort of when he came back. Um, he still had a car here and he still had the cars that he was building and he was still driving. He was doing all those things, but he, he gained more of a passion about helping others get better at the sport. Yeah. Um, so he'd go out and help people with their car set up and all that sort of stuff and, and mindset and coaching. And I mean, I touched on the fact that he was a deep thinker. I can't even put into words the level that he thinks about all things, about all topics. He was just such a deep thinker about all the things. And I would often, and I really, it's sort of, it's a really nice memory that I have, but we talk sometimes and I just glaze over because I just don't have the bandwidth. <laughs> yeah. You know, like he, he would start yeah. talking about things and I'm like, man, I don't have the bandwidth, but mate, if I could have one of those conversations right now, I, I absolutely would. But yeah. um, little did I know he was pretty quiet about his um, his upbringing as a young young man. So, you know, he had some had some family issues and, you know, just had some challenges that, that most people probably wouldn't necessarily go through in their life. And, and, and that sort of, he, he was using cars as a bit of an outlet as his thing to to connect with himself or, or to connect with others, to, to mask whatever was going on behind the scenes. And yeah, um, I think the, you know, the time in Japan, the getting to the height 
of the level that he could be at without any money, I suppose. Like, and that's the thing, like he really earned his place, didn't go there with a lot of cash, put every ounce of effort into it that he could. And I think it sort of really affected him more than he would probably let on. Um, And then, and then, yeah, it was always just, he was a pretty sort of quiet guy, a bit introverted. Um, He got into his, his simulator. So he started building a simulator because he couldn't drive all the time. So he'd just be, on the sim with his puppy, like with his dogs and, and just sort of living at home, being a quiet sort of cat. And I, and I, you know, obviously always in hindsight, you, you wish you'd sort of reach out a bit more or, or sort of lend an ear and all that sort of stuff. And I, I think that a lot of his mates, he, he could have had that conversation or those type of conversations with, but, but just never did. And he's probably a couple of years older than me. So, you know, he'd be, um, if I'm 38, you know, he would be 40 around that sort of age. So, you know, maybe it's still a little bit of the tail end of that age group that he's in, you know, don't necessarily talk about your feelings all that much. And um, yeah, it it ended up getting to a point where he was, he was obviously really struggling and um, yeah, chose to, um, to take his own life. So, um, you know, people have different opinions of that, um, of, of the action of doing that and the repercussions of doing that. Um, and unless you've been through something, you know, whether it's your own depressive state or something, unless you've felt a layer of hurt at that level, you probably you know, like you shouldn't really comment about it because you don't really yeah. know what it feels like. And especially if you've been battling for something 10, 15, 20 years or since your early childhood, you know, the, the constant level of feeling tired and, and feeling down and all that sort of stuff. I, I can, I've had, a portion of that myself and I've had um, another mate who, who I've really close with who's, who suffered that sort of stuff as well. So, yeah. you know, I'd been through it before with another mate and I'd been through a little bit myself. So I, I like straight away, I'm like, I can understand. I, I've never been in that position. I've never gotten that far myself, but there are a lot of people that, that can identify with this topic and they can sort of go, yeah, you know, I've, I've had a hard time. Like some things have gone on and, and particularly guys, they don't really know how to talk about it. It's not, you know, I guess girls or, you know, when they get together with their girlfriends, they'll vent about their partners or about work or whatever. And they're, they're much more open about sharing feelings and emotions and all that sort of stuff. And guys don't, we're talking about cars or footy or music or whatever, you know, it's not often that you sort of sit there at the, at the pub watching the footy on the TV, you'd go, you know, I'm, feeling a bit sad today, you know, it just never, the conversation just never happens, which I'd love it to change. You know, I really would love that, that message to change because, you know, if they're your mate, if they're genuinely your mate, they'll, they'll listen to you, you know, like you can talk about this sort of stuff. And I think, especially in our community and in the, the immediate people that knew Chris and, and all of our group that, that were closer with him, we are all, so much more open about talking about things and, and um, it, it's such a shame, like a mixed blessing that his legacy that he's left is, you know, he's not here. I wish I could hang out with him. I wish I could just talk yeah, about, yeah. you know, how to set the front of my car up, you know, better steering. Cause he would talk to me for hours and I have no idea what he's talking about. I wish I could have that conversation again, Yeah. but we're all now having conversations around the struggles we're going through and everything. And it's, and it's a really great thing that's come from such a negative uh, thing that's happened. So um, 
yeah, I got the phone call. It was a Friday afternoon. It was it was May the f- uh, yeah first of May on the Friday afternoon, or the Friday was when it happened, um, and I was one of the first people um after his partner and, and ex-partner like the couple of girls were there so um chance and coral were there um and chance asked the police to call me because um, i live not far away um and i didn't really know what was going on i just finished work i'm on my way home friday night you know feeling pretty good and i've gone yeah i'll, I'll come over you know I, I didn't think anything of it right i just went to went to his house and um you know i get there and there's multiple police cars and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, you know, is he in trouble with the police? Like has something happened? Yeah. You know? And, um, and as soon as chance like spun around and saw me, she just burst, like, burst into tears. And, and she just said, you know, he's taking his own life. And I was just numb. Like I did. I, yeah, I, I got chills now just thinking yeah, about that yeah. moment. And it's, yeah, it's, it's really wild to, to hear about it happen but but to be right there um you know the the coroners were there like they were they were yeah. taking him out like we sat there in the car and I was just a support person for the girls and we we're just sitting in the car as you're like that you that's a it's an experience that not everyone should ever go through um but it allows me to be able to talk about it a little bit harder to talk about at the moment, but generally allows me to talk about it pretty openly and, and give space to people and give them the confidence that they can talk about their stuff as well. Cause that's, that's a layer of, um, yeah, you sort of shake, shake off the stigma. I'm like, Hey, I know what, Hey, I've been through some stuff. All right. You know, like no judgment from me. There's a safe space if you want to chat about things. So, um, and then, yeah, the, all, all the, you know, weeks and months afterwards of handling his household affairs, like, you know, cleaning out his house. And um, I was the first one to walk back in the house. So we went we went with his brother and, and Chance and we went back to, you know, package up all his, all his possessions. And, you know, his brother was, was struggling a fair bit, obviously, as you can imagine. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and I'm like holy shit, I'm, I'm the guy who has to be strong for my friends here and, and I've got to be the first one to walk in the house. And I'm like, yep. man, that's... And look, I didn't find him. You know, um, Coral found him, so I, I can't imagine what it's like for her. But all these experiences really do um, form how you have conversations with people and, and how you interact with people for sure. So, yeah, a very wild sort of... Yeah. wild time and that was all around while COVID was all going on too so whether that was the final disconnect for him that he couldn't have mates over or or he just thought this was kind of the end of the world you know pandemic the way the media was just That's smashing right. Vic- it Victoria was crazy for lockdowns too wasn't it I, I just right now I sit here having a laugh because I can go to work and I can go to concerts yeah. and but they were so hard line on everything and and we look at it now and I go you know it's it's bad for people that are immune compromised and I'm not going to belittle the thing that the, the situation of what it is but you know a couple of years down the journey it, it hasn't eventuated into being something that bad and they went such a hard line on it because a lot of miscommunication or a lot of you know, hearsay or whatever about whatever was going on and the media just stormed it up. So when the media stormed it up, then the politicians had to make their actions to not 
look like they weren't doing the right thing and it was just an absolute shit show that then, you know, could this have contributed to my mate not wanting to be here anymore? And that really, yeah, that really frustrates me a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's such an important message to get out there, um, especially hearing like words from you just now. I wasn't there, you know, you were, but I, I felt some part of that as you're, as you're saying that story, you know what I mean? But yeah. I didn't, I, I'm not, I, I can promise you it's not even an inkling of what you felt. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, boys, we got to start talking for sure, for sure. And, and I think, you know, you'll have mates that, and, and guys banter with each other and give each other shit. It's kind of our communication style, but you'll know the couple of mates that you've got that you might give each other shit and you might have a bit of banter, but they're genuinely good blokes and, and you'd be able to actually have a conversation with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or if you don't have those people, then, you know, there are support services. You can ring them. You know, they're, they're really, I've called them, you know, to try and understand how to support someone as a support. Yep. Um, you know, I haven't necessarily called them for my own need, but I've called them to say, hey, I've got a mate who's going through this. Like, and they're good at talking you through that sort of stuff or giving you suggestions about how to communicate. So, guys absolutely use those services that's what they're there for you don't need to be in a dark place yourself to use them you can use them on behalf of somebody you can use them to talk just if you're having a shitty day like it doesn't really matter um it's hard it's easy to say you're not alone because when you feel that way you really feel compressed and and you know really low energy and all that sort of stuff it's very hard but you know this is why we're trying to keep this communication going this is why we're trying to you know, shake away the stigma a little bit of it because yeah, blokes, we need to, we need to talk to each other. Yeah. You can't necessarily have the conversation with your partner either. No, that's right. Cause they're too close sometimes yeah. or maybe they're, yeah. they're a contributing cause to what you've got going yeah. on. Yeah. Maybe you don't want to talk to your parents or, or your immediate family because they're going to side with you right away and they're not necessarily going to give you an impartial um, a coping mechanism or a handling yeah, mechanism yeah. for it. So sometimes it's, yeah, your partner or your immediate family, you can't maybe have these conversations with. So that next layer of support, the next ring in your network is, is either your friends or some support workers. So yeah, um, yeah I, I went through a, a bit of a depressive state. Um, I, I was married and, and now I've, um, I've been divorced. So it was just not the right um, relationship situation timing whatever you want to call it it's okay we've sort of gone our separate ways and we're you know in a in a better place individually and and i have no ill feelings um for my ex-partner um but at the time i had so much guilt you know i i I destroyed a marriage you know the language that i was using to myself was terrible um and i and i know what it felt like you know i I treated myself like shit, like my body. I would just eat junk food, drink alcohol every night because it just, that was the only thing that could make me feel a bit normal. Yep. And I got to the point, I'm like, well, this is how people turn to drugs. Like, this is how people get to that point where they become dependent on drugs to feel something or feel nothing because you feel so heavy. I would say to people, I'm like, I need more than coffee and Red Bull because I feel like my eyes want to close. I feel exhausted. And like, once you've felt that, you, you know that that's not just tired, that's depression because 
it's just an overwhelming weight on your shoulders and on your mind. And yeah, I, um, I know what that feels like and, and I tell people about it. So having that just very small exposure and it's uh, like, I was only sad, really. I was only feeling like shit for maybe 12 months while I was going through the divorce process and, you know, trying to work out, I've given this life away. I've got to start again, all that sort of stuff. So it's only 12 months. Like I can't imagine what it'd be like to feel like shit for 20 years or 25 years. And it's not often one thing that causes people to go down the path of, of taking their own life. It's, it's compounding years of multiple yeah, things. Yep. And the important part is just getting the conversations out there when it's a small problem, you know, don't allow it to compound if you can. I mean, it's easy to say, yeah. but but break the little things down while they're little things before they compound and become really heavy. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm, um, I'm, I'm guilty myself of being really shit about sharing what I'm going through, my feelings and all that sort of, all that sort of stuff. And um, if I can sort of add anything to that, it is probably um, to, to, to anyone listening, just reach out to a mate. Not if, not if you're going through shit, but just reach out to a mate and see if they're doing all right. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you haven't heard from someone for a while or, or they've gone a bit quiet and that's a little bit weird, reach out to them. You know, they're probably not doing it just to be shit to you or, you know, you might you might be thinking, oh, he's been a bit of a fucking dick. He hasn't fucking rang me. Just reach out. Yep. You know, something so simple can, can, be, can, can make the difference. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I... I probably, you know, we all get pretty involved in our own lives and, and we're all going through whatever we're going through, you know, you're experiencing it on your own. But, you know, I I had a lot of guilt after losing Chris and it was, you know, I probably saw him, we had a boys night playing the simulator at his house in February and then we went drifting uh, in March and I didn't really speak to him or see him too much after the after the last drift event because we started going to the lockdown situation. Just two weeks to manage the curve, and yeah, right, <laughs> turned into two years. But okay, um, you know, I because I knew Chris was pretty quiet and introverted a lot of the time. Nothing really seemed out of the ordinary to me. So, you know, when your loud friends go quiet, absolutely, that's a thing. But also, your quiet mates that have always been quiet, like they could be still managing something from their childhood that you don't know about. So, you know, invite people along to things. Um, you know, if they're constantly saying no, they don't want to, or they can't, they can't leave the house or whatever, you know, they're constantly saying no. they're probably managing something emotional. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest, so yeah, absolutely reach out to people. But I think what, what I've been able to do for myself. I'm no expert. I've had some life experience in this space, but like what we're doing right now is I put myself in an emotionally vulnerable position for other people to feel. So they go, holy shit, he went through that. He's, he's not going to judge me. And I think that's the biggest thing for guys as well is you don't want to feel weak. You don't want to feel incapable. You don't want to feel like you're useless or, you know, you can't contribute to your family or whatever you've got going on. So you sort of swallow hard and move on, you know, man up, all that sort of stuff. But if you've got someone in your network who's creating that space, creating that conversation, then that allows the other conversations to come in. So the 
the reach out is one thing and try and sort of see if you could pick up a pattern on someone who's maybe being a bit reserved, but, but put yourself out there first as well, if you have the capacity. And that's always the challenge. Like if you personally have the capacity to reach out and talk about your own stories, then that I've had so many conversations after things like this, where I've gone and put myself out there and I'll have people come up to me and going, yeah, I've gone through a dark time, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I'm glad that they feel comfortable with me to be able to have that conversation. Yeah. And slide into my DMS. If you want to talk about drifting or music or anything, you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk about all sorts of stuff. You know, that's, that's totally, totally cool. Um, yeah. Like I said, I've been, I've had exposure to the mental health topic with my best mate who I've known since I'm five years old um, in our early twenties. So the first time I was exposed to someone with a mental health condition was, yeah, nearly 18 years ago. And I was one of his main supports and, and, you know, he went into a, into a hospital rehab hospital, you know, I'd go and visit him and he'd give me the razor blades that he was cutting himself with to try and take it out of the hospital. Cause he smuggled them in when he wasn't supposed to and all of that sort of stuff. And, and, you know, he trusted me a lot and we were in our early twenties at that point. So you know, I had that exposure. Then I went through my own stuff. And then when we lost Chris, I I felt equipped to be able to handle it and to be able to be a support for, for Chance um, and, and for Coral and for anyone else who's, who's spoken about it. Um, so it's interesting if you've exposed, if you if you've experienced something and you've got the capacity, reaching outward and, and talking about your own story is a really powerful thing. Absolutely. Hats hat hats off to you, mate. Look, I just sitting here listening to to yourself, sort of sort of say that stuff and tell the tell the stories. I couldn't do that. Yeah. So hats off to you for being able to be the one. Um, and it's on on the same hand, it's it's a little bit, it's it's a shame that you've had to be the one too at at state at times. You know, like yeah, especially in a time like that where you've um, you now you've probably wanted to break down yourself and you've kind of had to sort of pick yourself up and be. No, I've got to be the support here. But you've also had the awareness of that as well. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've I've had my times where I've lent on my friends processing, you know, Chris's passing. Um and we all we all just sort of bounce off each other, you know. So I was initially I just went into carer mode at the time, but it was months after that that it all really hit me. I'm like you know, I was there, I was there. I was one of the first people on the scene. I was one of the first people back in the house, you know, navigating, cleaning up a deceased estate, rental property, you know, and, and just all those little things. And I was only part of the chain, you know, his brother, brother Mad and Chance and, you know, his dad, um, they're all part of it as well, but, but we all became a, a support network for each other. Yeah. Um, but it's only because of all of that and all my history that I, that I feel like I've got the capacity to be able to help others too. So yeah, it may, it may come in time for you, you know, who knows, or it may come in time for anyone listening too. you know, it's, it's the more of these conversations that happen, you go, Hey, I'm not alone. You know, probably one of the best things, sorry, I'm jumping around a bit, but one of the best things to talk about, I, I didn't know anyone else that had been divorced in my immediate circle. And then I spoke to some of my other close mates and he's like, oh yeah, no, I've been divorced. I'm like, what? Like, what? I had no idea. Yeah. 
yeah, and it was years ago. And he's like, yeah, you know, you know, sort of jumped in a bit too soon and, you know, it wasn't right and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, holy shit, you're like a really good mate of mine. And now you're remarried with the partner you absolutely love and you've got kids and, and you're on the right path. I'm like, that really helped me because he mentioned that he'd been in that same situation and I instantly felt like I wasn't alone. So it took guts for him to say that to me to then be able to open that um, like I said before, creating that space to have the conversation. So yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, it's equally as important to outwardly re- like reach out if you've got the capacity and, and not everyone's got the capacity and that's totally fine as well. But I didn't have the capacity then either, but the more of these conversations I have, the more people I talk to, the more that talk, you know, share their stuff, it does become easier. So that's just the takeaway, I suppose. So if you're feeling overwhelmed or, you know, intimidated or you don't want to feel like you're useless or all those sorts of things, then maybe just baby steps. And, and you know, it does become easier. Like anything, it's talking about your emotions for a guy is a learned skill. It's not, doesn't come natural to us like it does with, with the ladies. They seem to be able to do it quite a bit easier. They're, they're they naturally- do it so well. Yeah, they're naturally very emotional. And, so and, and we, we bitch about them doing it, right? Oh, like, I know, I know. We we sort of wish that we could, but yeah. um there's a balance point in all of that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But um no, I really appreciate being able to talk about that topic on especially on this uh this platform too, because a lot of people who I've spoken to at the track, um that have heard a few bits and pieces, they'll often come up to me at the track and be like, you know, cars are my outlet. They're, they're my, um, you know, energy release or, or they're the thing that I focus on. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had that conversation yeah. with people and I'm like, I just thank them for being, for being them and, and thank them for, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that they're comfortable enough to talk to me about this yeah. topic because it's, it's a hard topic for people. Absolutely. Um, and, and so much so we've now actually got, um, uh, Mark, who's a motorsport chaplain who comes along to our, um, or especially to the Keep It Read events. Um, so uh, Jason Ferrin and, and his partner, Danny, you know, they're pretty passionate about the mental health, men's mental health topic as well. So all the Keep It Read events, we sort of have a bit of a throwback to this topic and we always raise it either in driver's briefing, but Mark, the motorsport chaplain, he does, um, he does a, uh, obviously says a few words before we, we kick off. So we do a driver's briefing and Mark puts his spin on it and, and he's been involved in speedway and all sorts of stuff. And, and, you know, they'll often say the motorsport prayer, you know, we, we sort of thank, thank the motorsport gods and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, um, if you believe in, in the higher power as well, thank them for, for looking down on us and keeping everyone safe in the motorsport realm because it's a dangerous sport. Um, but yeah, he had his trailer at the last Friday night drift, um, keep it read event last Friday. Yeah. A week ago. Um, so we've actually got that now at the track in Victoria as well, that that he's a visual presence. He's got a massive sort of fifth wheel trailer, all sign written up. And if you want to go in there and just talk to him about whatever you've got going on, he's an impartial person, but he's been around motorsport for a long time and he's seen a lot of stuff. Um, and, and he's a great resource that we've got. Um, and, and yeah, we're certainly grateful to have him come along to the track and, and share what he does that's awesome man that's so cool to hear yeah we're, we're doing it we're we're making changes one conversation yeah might be silly you know my team's silly that you know we're using motorsport as a as a mechanism for doing this but 
I mean, motorsport does that in a lot of ways. You know, we use absolutely the the friendship and mateship that comes from from cars and everything else. And if we can use that power for good, um, and not just not just torching tires and destroying our cars, if we can use yeah. it for good as well and um, keeping the lines of communication open, that's that's what it's about. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Um, so going, we'll circle around to the keep it read stuff and. And um, I guess your commentary, which is yeah. probably what a lot of people would know you for. Um, how did you kind of fall into this sort of role? Yeah, well, yeah, really, it is literally that, right? It's you fall into something and you just get into the groove. Um, I used to do a bit of emceeing and, and uh, like sales MC. you know, it might be a birthday sale at the Autobahn store or it might be a weekend event that we got going on. We're doing a barbecue sausage sizzle and someone's got to announce what's going on. So I do, you know, all these really low level, really minor sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I just sort of naturally could do it. I, I can talk underwater with a face full of marbles, I think as people say, and yeah, that's fine. Um, but then I think one of the first events back, so obviously, you know, sort of touched on the getting married, buying a house, unfortunately then divorced um that was about a six year period um and it was 2018 that i bought my new drift car project and started all over again so i was out of the scene for nearly six years so it's interesting people that meet me now they're like oh you've only been in it a couple of years you're pretty new and i'm like whoa you know like and i, yeah, I was no. sitting on the grassy hill yeah. at Calder park in 2003 right like um, when it was still grass yeah 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 <laughs> when it wasn't a waste, less of a wasteland like it is, but it's improving. It's, it's great. Um, but anyway, so 2018, um, uh, Pete, uh, with Drift Cadet, um, we just got, kind of got a bit of a conversation going around, um, uh, being an MC for the Motor X car show in Melbourne. So they were doing their first ever drift demos at Motor X. Um, and Pete was like, you know, would you be interested? I'm like, well, I've never done anything of that scale before. Like Motor X is a pretty epic event. Um, he's like, yeah, you'll be right. You know, they'd sort of seen maybe that I'd done a couple of things at the, because I was a board member for Vic Drift for a while there as well. So you'd sort of stand up at some of the meetings and chat and um, yeah. However, I don't really remember how their origin sort of started, but yeah, he asked me if I wanted to do it. And I'm like, yeah, this is pretty cool. And I was nervous as all hell you know, the hand your microphone, it, um, talking about a subject matter that at least I know really well, that's all pretty easy. So at least if we're talking about drift cars and stuff like that, that's all, all cool. But then I turn around and I see all these fans, like they're just standing on the fence and they're just clapping and cheering. They're having a great time just watching the drift cars. Um, I, I guess I can, I love that I've can add that element to it and explain some of the technical details around the cars and the drivers. And it just, having that person just really joins the the visual entertainment to the spectators that may be seeing it for the first time. Um, and then once that first Motor X in 2019, yeah, it was early 2019. Maybe it was 20, maybe it was the end of 2018. And then uh, Summonats rolled around. So Pete's like, we're going to, we're going to do demos up at Summonats. I'm like, I've never been to Summonats before. I'm like, I know it's a pretty wild event. So pretty keen. And that was the summer of 2020. So it's the end of 2019 into 2020. And that was the year of the bushfires in New South Wales. Yeah. So we got up to Canberra and we were wearing face masks in the start of 2020 because we couldn't breathe for the fire, the smoke. 
little did we know we'd be wearing face masks for two and a half years because of a pandemic that was going to break out a few months later. Um, so that was wild. That was a crazy time. But yeah, so it's it's been a bit of a journey. So Motor X, I've done a few times now. Uh, three, I think I've done three Motor X, uh, three Summonats, uh, going for round three at Rocky Nats, so up at Rockhampton in Queensland. Um, you know, plenty of Victrift stuff, plenty of Keeper Reed stuff. Um, but yeah, all, all my work things as well. So it's pretty often that I'll stand up in front of the the crew at work and do a presentation about something, you know, in front of the crew. Um, I did a, a mental health video for Are You OK Day for, for our business. So it was an internal video. Um, so I just, I don't know. Like it's just people say, oh, you, you know, they, they compliment me so much. And I, sometimes I don't, like I'm like, man, I just, it's just me. Like I'm just talking about the things that I'm looking at. Like, I don't feel like I'm fancy at it. I don't feel like I'm that great at it. Like, I'm just like, give me a microphone and I just waffle on bullshit about cars and people seem to like it. So I'm like, oh, okay, I must, <laughs> must be doing something right. I don't know. <laughs> but um, so and that's um, how we met, obviously. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, is, is the nervousness something you still sort of get? Like you, you kind of, as, just as you're about to get into something and you pick up that microphone and you turn it on, like, do you still get that, like that little bit of nervousness then or? Yeah, look, there's always a portion of it. I guess once you've done it a few times, you know, you sort of know what to expect. I guess when you're doing a, a new event and you don't know what that's going to look like, yeah, um, you know, that the the live events are much easier, I think, because you've got the crowd there. You can banter with the crowd. You can run. You can party. There's usually music on. Um, the one that I got um, got a gig to do was was the live stream for World Time Attack. So I can see the hat you're wearing yep. right now. So the World Time Attack event, like they um, uh, they normally have uh, one of the blokes from D1NZ comes over to do the drift commentary, but they couldn't travel because of COVID. Um, uh, and one of the other guys, I can't remember his name now, I feel so bad, um, he's from Perth and he couldn't travel either because they locked down WA. So they're like, we need some people to do the commentary for the for the drifting part of World Time Attack. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Let's go. And this was live stream TV. So you're in the production, like you're in the studio with the camera on, you've got a producer in your ear, they're giving you directions. You know, you've got a co-host. Well, I was the co-host. So, um, Maddie Cav is an absolute champion. Maddie Cav, if you're watching champ, thank you for being my guide as I was coming first, you know, going first time for live stream TV. Um, and he was so cool about it because he's done a bunch of different burnout events for, for years and he's he's so cash and so cool about it. Um, that was where I probably got the most amount of nerves because it's it's live stream TV. You know, you've got the TV, you've got the producer in your ear, you're, you're bantering back and forward. I'm like, oh, just trying not to sweat through my shirt and just don't, <laughs> don't swear on TV yeah. and, you know, make sure you get the car and the driver's name and the car number right because you know the fans that are watching at home – good one dickhead that's a 33 not an r32 like even though i know it's an r32 but the words yeah. just blurt out you know oh good one like people are so critical and, and they can jump yeah. down your throat so quickly it's like just get the names right speak slowly speak clearly you know just you just got to slow yourself down because you can just run away with it and you lose control so i definitely get nervous with the live stream tv sort of stuff more than uh, the live in-person events because the in-person events like whatever like you know just high five the crowd yeah it's a bit bit easier i still get it a little bit but 
yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's now that I've done a few, it's it's pretty cool, pretty crazy. Yeah. So do you, do you take on a different persona, or is it just you? That's all you out there. Well, for summonats, I think you almost have to because it's a bit of a wild event. Like I've got my fake mullet wig, the mullet, there, yeah. and my party shirt, and yeah. and my you know sunnies, and I'm just like got the pump and tunes, and giving away freebies and stuff. Like I feel like I've become this summonats character. Um, it's still just me. Like I'm just a bit of a bogan myself that likes loud music and cars and all that sort of stuff. So it doesn't really matter. But um, you know. Pete, Pete's great or Pete and Lynn are great. They're just, just, you do you. Like, we're not going to tell you what to do. You know what you're doing. So just, so it's really, it's just me. I just wear a funny wig and hat and just have a good time. So yeah, I, I don't necessarily put a character on. That is, that is definitely a part of my personality. At least I can be corporate and I could be straight down the line, but you know, if I can have a couple of beers and have a bit of a party as well, that's, that's yeah. probably more of my comfort level. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it can be it can be different every time you know yeah. it can be uh, you know one event will be you've got to say the sponsors a bit more and it's got to be a bit more corporate and the next one will be this one this is the crowd and you know some of that's they're they're not used to drifting so that drifting's a new thing for a lot of those guys so you've got to be a bit more educational whereas you know if i took the Summonat's character or persona to a Vic Drift or a Keep It Read event, they'd be like, "Why is this guy doing that?" You know, we all know what's going on. We just, <laughs> you know, so yeah, you just got to get it right, and it can be different. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you find it difficult to keep your energy up for that? Like, for because what are they doing? How many shows per day are they doing, or demos per day? Like at Summonat's per, per se. Yeah, so Summonat's the Friday and Saturday. It's four four shows per day and then two on the Sunday. So it's 10 shows. Um, and they go for half an hour to an hour, depending on how many passenger rides. So the whole, the whole point of the summer Nats and Rocky Nats and motor X events is to get exposure for drifting for people that maybe have never seen it. Maybe they've seen it online. They've never seen it up close in person. Um, and we give people an opportunity to go for a passenger ride so they can pay their money and actually go for a ride in a drift car at those events. So it's, it's another experience level thing as well. So um, I've got no real tricks. I just try and eat reasonably good um, while I'm there, but then it's caffeine and sugar loading between events. So it's like <laughs> punching down the lollies and, you know, a can of Red Bull or something in between as I'm going. And then you'll often see me like even mid show run off to the toilet. Like I'll just be like, blah, 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 blah. And then I'm like, mute the microphone and run to the toilet because I've drank so much water and caffeine that I just need a wee. Um, so that happens a fair bit. Um, but I just like, I drink so much water to try and keep my voice and, and throat lubricated. Um, but I can't help myself, but I get so excited and I end up losing my voice every single time. Um, especially for a two or a three day event. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I'm right next to the track. I'm right next to the crowd that are clapping and cheering. Like, I, I try and give it everything that I've got as well. The drivers are driving hard. The The environment's cool and buzzing. So, like, yeah, you, you can't go to Summer Nats and Rocky Nats and be a quiet MC just sort of standing yeah. to the side. Like, you gotta you got to turn it up. And I'll be honest, I'm pretty exhausted at the end of the weekend because it's yeah, a, lot of, a lot of energy in bursts. Um, yeah. But also, I'm pretty energetic sort of character. So, it does, it does come naturally. It's like <laughs> interval training. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, we, we created a bit of a new 
um, tradition. So Daniel Pryor from South Australia, he's he's a bit of a runner as well. So like I'm I'm trying to get back into my running. I, I did a half marathon last year in lockdown because. I was going stir crazy and all I was, all we're allowed to do was go out and exercise for two hours a day. So I made use of those two hours and I'd be running or riding my bike all around the city. And, and, and it was really good because I just ate good. I couldn't go out and party and I just exercise every single day and I ended up losing 10 kilos and ran a half marathon. Like I've never been a runner in my life. So, um, this year just gone 2022 was a bit more of a party year and I put a whole bunch of weight back on and I've lost my running mojo but I'm getting it back now a little bit but um Daniel Pryor and I um made a bit of a Sunday morning tradition at Summonats that we um we tried to do a a running lap of the driving circuit around (laughs) Summonats before the cars really got going in the morning and look, we went to the concert on Saturday night, so we were a little bit sourced. Well, I was at least. He's he's a driver, so he had to be, um, you know, no alcohol in his system to drive. But not the MC. Like, I can do what I want, right? So we had quite a few cans at the concert, and we sang along to um, who was playing. So it was Bliss and Esso were playing, and, uh, you know, the DJ or whatever, um, whoever was playing. It was killer. It was a really great night. And then we kicked on and went to the karaoke bar underneath the the grandstand at summer nights there was a karaoke bar in there we're in there for a bit and and then i'm like what time do we got to get up for sunday i'm like oh man this is a bad idea and then um yeah so it was a bit of a hungover sort of run around the circuit at summer nights but yeah we're going to try and make that a bit more of a tradition where on the sunday morning we we run a lap around the around the grounds to sort of try and wake up for the day (laughs) yeah that's awesome. Imagine I can imagine being the campers kind of camped out by the road, just going, "What the? F- what was this couple of blokes? Doing? Yeah, what is yeah, two blokes just running around the cruising track? Yeah. They haven't and, even got anything in their hands. Like they haven't even stolen anything. Why are they running? That was so funny. We we're joking about that. We're like, it's like we've got to steal something and have people chase us to be able to run a, a faster pace. <laughs> so I'm like, man, I'm pretty hungover. Like I'm feeling pretty crook. I was, I was chatting to someone in the dino cell, and I literally just watched a dude rip down a Haltex sign and run off with it. Oh yeah, we had to pack up our drift cadet signs each night because people had come through the the thing. Even though we had paid for security to be there, yep. you know they turned their back for two seconds and people would be stealing the signage and you know ripping the the summonats banner off and mate, they just they just get wild. <laughs> that yeah. event just brings people out of the woodwork and they go yeah, wild. Absolutely does, man. It turns people into something they've never been. Hey, hundred percent. Crazy. Yeah, hundred percent. So doing that sort of thing, do you find you kind of match the energy of the drivers or they match your energy? Like, if you, you, do you reckon you've got an input on them? Um, I definitely do because they, they know that they can see me and I'm, I'm standing next to the track and I'm waving my arms and I'm jamming them up. And, you know, that's my whole thing at that event or those type of events is like I want the crowd's energy to feed the drivers and then the drivers push harder and, and it all just adds to the overall entertainment. So... Like they know, like I'm standing there, I'm waving my arm at them and I'm, and you can watch the drivers because like I know they lock eyes with me yeah. and then I see their hand go out the window and they start yeah. fist bumping as they're drifting <laughs> along. So we, we definitely bounce off each other and there's no choreography or anything. We're just winging it. You know, it's, it's how everyone's feeling at the time. And, you know, most of the passengers that go for a ride at these events have never been in a drift car before. So, you know, they're they're buzzing they're having a great time the drivers get such a kick out of taking people for a passenger ride that have never been before um 
it's just so cool yeah really really cool and and we all just bounce off each other's energy but yeah, yeah. they yeah we i do my best to g the crowd up so that they're all cheering and carrying on and then the drivers love it they're just yeah. like yeah um they get selfies like the you know the the punters go down the thing and they talk to the drivers about their cars and they get selfies and they were selling bits of car parts. So Daniel Pryor, um, <laughs> so this year, so whether whether people saw it or not, Daniel Pryor um, lunched his 2J in the Friday I, morning I practice. I heard about that, yeah. Yeah, so it's a, it was a brand new block. Still don't really know what happened. So it was a brand new engine. It had only been run in and, and dynoed, and it was over for Summonats and just exploded the 2J. So, you know, piston and rods out both sides punched a hole through the bottom of the sump like he did a good job did of a it. Good job, yeah. it was a good job and they put the block by the so they're all just standing around looking at it going yeah geez you know like it's the start of summer nats like it's the first 20 minutes of summer nats and jared klimberg from south australia as well brought a spare bottom end and he had it in the in the in the support car like we could do it, like we just you know just take it you know pull it all out and like are we really going to do this? Like they were they were standing around deliberating for twenty minutes or so, and they're like, well you know if we didn't have an engine block sitting here, then we probably wouldn't do it. But the block's sitting there, we're all capable, we know how to do it. So they made a start and they swapped the engine out in the drift pits on this on the Friday, so that they could go back to driving on the Saturday and. It was it was wild because he blew a hole in the bottom of the sump. Again, I, I've got this cracker photo of just Daniel like smiling through the big hole in the bottom of the sump. So they go to this local fabrication place in town. They weld the sump up. They've got the block. They've pulled the head off the turbo. Like there was bits of car everywhere. And they've gone ahead and rebuilt it, put it all back together. And it was about 11 p.m. that night that they were driving the car again. So they just worked on it all day. And this is his head off like valve one of the valves are broken like massive massive kudos to those guys for getting that done and the fact that he was back out on track the next day like absolutely wild wild dedication to what they're about and it's such a good vibe in the pits and everything else and you know i had to drag him out in the middle of the skid pan area i'm like guys this this guy and his team have gone ahead and re like swap the engine out after lunching it yesterday so he could drive for you guys i give a massive round of applause Woo, you know yeah. and it was it was rad it was so so cool that um, would have been um it would have been a massive sort of not an eye-opener but just something really cool for the spectators to see as well because all those cars are lined up against that fence yeah that you walk past so they would have been sitting there like people would have been sitting there watching these guys swap this motor out at summer yep. yep there was there's a bar at the end of that um yep. shed and like a little like takeaway food place and the and the summer nuts merch area just off to the side and there's a bunch of table and chairs and people were sitting at the table and chairs watching these guys pull the engine and gearbox yeah. and everything out um and it was all out on the floor and and yeah like the crowd yeah they're just like what you know what is going on here um but they were selling parts of the blown engine to people as they were going past like i'll oh, give us five bucks for this bit of piston or they end up selling the engine block. I don't know what they got for it, like maybe fifty bucks or a hundred bucks or something for a two J engine block. And these two blokes like walked out with an engine block. Um, Imagine like, being security. What the fuck? What the fuck <laughs> is going on? Like they're carrying out an engine block. Like what is going on? I'm sure they shouldn't be carrying that out of here. Like. So I think. So I think. Uh, I don't know how many tires we went through, but 
it, it will it, over a hundred times, right? Like there was there was twelve drift cars, ten sessions. You know, even if everyone did a pair per show, like you know, there's there was a lot of tires. Like, I know the guys went through a reasonable amount of tires, and you know, tires cost ten bucks to scrap these days or more. Yeah, yeah. You know, they were giving tires away to punters coming along the fence. They were signing their names on the tires and giving bald tires to people, and they were taking bald tires home from Summonats. I'm like, that was the easiest tire disposal we've ever had. Like, that's How amazing. That. <laughs> but like, people were taking everything. Like, if it wasn't bolted down, they were taking it. So it was it was quite a funny, a funny thing. And I actually had something very random happen. So these two two young guys. Um, at the end of one of the shows on the Saturday, they come up to the fence and they've got a texter and a sign. One of them had a sign of something that they pinched from somewhere and the other bloke had his T-shirt um, and they were asking for signatures. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, if you just, you know, go down to the pits there, all the drivers are there, they've just finished the show, you know, they'll be near their cars, they'll be able to um, they'll be able to sign and get a selfie or whatever. And they're like, oh, can you sign it as well? I'm like... What? <laughs> like I've never signed my signature I've ever. I've made it. I've made it. I'm like mom, <laughs> mom and dad. Like I yeah. signed my signature. People, people love me. But I'm just like, uh, what? <laughs> like you want my <laughs> signature? Like I'm just the dickhead with the microphone. But I signed this thing and uh, this sign, and I signed this bloke's t-shirt. And then they went down to the pits and got a bunch of driver signatures as well. I'm like, that's insane. Like, I what? <laughs> it was so much fun. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, I've got some hypothetical questions for you. Oh, love it. Far um, away. So if money no if money was no object, what would your ultimate drift build be? It's so wild. It's so wild to think about that I've nearly got it. Like it has to be an S15. And it has to be an SR20 S15 because I just like, it's just right. All the good JDM karma gods, it's just right having an S15 with an SR20. But I want a Brody Mar billet block VVL, like full hamburger with a lot SR, like full tilt SR. So Brody, if you're listening, brother, the next time I see you at high tech in, uh, at Winton, if your car's left unattended, you might be shorter a hammerhead billet block. It's coming over me. You need to take that Summonettes crew with you. Yeah, yeah. The the, the <laughs> pilfered crews are going uh, going swipe a block. Yeah, that's it. Um, but I think that's like ultimate SR. Like that is it's ten grand for the bottom end. Um, you know, to get a VVL head onto an SR with all the supporting mods, it's about another ten. You add your rotating assembly, you add your cams, bits and pieces of fuel system. You're talking a fifty grand, probably probably a fifty grand or forty grand SR build. But the thing revs to nine, nine and a half, ten thousand RPM. It makes eight hundred horsepower in a four cylinder engine. I'm like, that's just damn cool. <laughs> so I don't know what gearbox and diff and everything else, but it would be an S15 and it'd be a billet block SR with a VVL head for sure. <laughs> oh, twin charged. I don't know how to make it work, but I remember... It's got to be on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember um, one of the Drift magazines that I used to get. So it was either Drift Battle magazine or or High Performance Imports or one of those publications back in the day. And there was a Japanese Drift car, SR, uh, S15, SR20, that had a supercharger on the intake manifold and a TDO6 turbo. And it was basically 
a 300 kilowatt drift car with no lag. And I'm like, baller, like that is so sick. I'm like, how can I do that? So like ultimate SR, I don't know if it would work. Billet block, VVL head, super turbocharged. Let's make that happen, guys. Absolutely. Where's that 50 grand engine? Come at me. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Now you have to sell every car that you own. With that money, you can only buy one dream car that you can afford with that money. So a little bit of quick maths, sort of adding up what that what that's worth to you. Right. Okay. With that money, what are you buying? Okay. All right. So I've got I've got an S fifteen track car. So let's say it's 30, 30 to forty grand in that window ish. Yep. I've got an S fourteen drift car, probably built motor, pretty full till. It's similar money. So let's say sixty. Spare S14 shell with another SR, so that's maybe another 20 because that one's a bit rough. So, you know, I'm getting close to 100 just in probably S S chassis. My other van and everything else, you know, van's probably about 50 something, the cash guy. Like, I've maybe got 200K in cars that I've, that I nearly own, actually. I'm doing pretty good. Like, I'm just paying my (laughs) loans down. I'm, I'm doing all right. With 200 grand, what car would I buy? Oh my God. Um, I don't really like supercars, to be honest. I'm not really a Lambo or Ferrari guy. I'm like, I can't afford a P1 McLaren with 200 grand. I think that's about a million dollar car or 750 or yeah, it'd be about a million bucks. So like a P1 McLaren would be just off its head, but it's not going to happen. Um, an ultimate car that I would like to have in some point of my existence uh, an XA coupe with a big block. So an XA Falcon coupe, big block, epic level car. So like, you know, that that would probably be about 150 grand car if, you, if you're talking yeah, a, yeah. like a full build. You're probably getting pretty close, yeah. That's, that's probably, just because I'm not into supercars, like, I, you know, I don't care. I'm not going to go buy a Lambo. I don't, yeah. So I'm like, what's cool? Like, it's probably going to be an XA coupe or like a 32, three window, probably a five window, actually a 32, 34 Ford, five window coupe, some kind of sick engine, you know, black with tan interior, period correct, sort of hot rod style, you know, something like that has to be supercharged, I reckon, because it's just cool. Um, I don't know, something old school hot rod or old school muscle car is probably about that sort of money but I'm, I can't part with S chassis to get that car. Like I need to have both. <laughs> I don't know how I can make that work, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's probably how I'd answer that question. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. Yeah. So now you, you can build your dream garage. You've got your, your XA coupe. You've got all your S chassis. You've got everything you own right now. Yeah. Cool. As far as tooling and, and anything else in that garage, what's going in there? Hectic. You know what? Like it's, I, I love playing the lottery game. It's like the hypothetical lottery. You know, if you won the lottery today, you know, what would you do with the money? I love playing that game with, with friends just cause it's so fun to see how people think about all these topics. Uh, I feel very grateful of the life that I've built, you know, working multiple jobs, saving money, doing all this stuff. Like I'm pretty close to having everything I want. I'm, I'm really quite happy. Um, I've got a hoist right now. You know, I'm, I'm living with my parents at the moment. There's a hoist down in the garage. You know, if, if you're a car dude and you're working on cars, like having a hoist changed my world. Like that was so convenient. 
Um, so you've got to have your sick tool set up. I've got there's, my. There's never been a better argument for a hoist than trying to do an exhaust system. Yeah. On the on your driveway, with your car on jack stands. Oh, hundred percent. That job can go fuck itself. I never want to do that again. The amount of times I've done clutches and gearbox swaps on the garage floor, like in the garage, so that's still concrete, which is nice, but on the garage, dropping the gearbox onto your chest and sort of just dropping it because the car's only just high enough. And, oh, if I never have to do that again, I'll be very, very happy. (laughs) But, you know, like I've got my snap-on roll cab. You know, I saved money and I bought good stuff because I try to think... Like buy good things, you shouldn't have to replace it. You know, if you spend your money on good quality tools, especially, you know, I don't have all the snap on tools, but I got a nice tool box that everything lives in and I'm replacing things as I go. But good tools are a must for being a car dude. You know, hoist and all those sort of things are really, really handy. Um, more cars, I suppose. I would certainly, like, I've got a shopping list of other things that I'd love to have. And, you know, you've, got to have some kind of massive pickup truck at some point and like an enclosed trailer so like if we're going full balls out in this in this hypothetical situation um you know it's got to be a chev or an f truck fifth wheeler enclosed trailer all that sort of stuff because that'd just be so sick um but i'm a motorbike guy as well i mentioned a little bit i've got a harley that i'm sort of building into that um, you know, um, Vickler lowrider sort of style with big long fishtail pipes and big handlebars and all that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm work in progress with that, but I really want a naked superbike, and it's either going to be, um, you know, either a Ducati or like an MV Augusta or something like an Italian sports bike. But I, I don't necessarily want a full fairings. I want an upright naked. So. Um, yeah, there's a few bikes in that lane that I'm like, yep, I could, I could have my Harley there and I can have my Italian sports bike. And there's probably a few other cars as well that I could throw in the mix, but I'm actually pretty close to having everything that I'm really passionate about and what I really want that really brings value to my life. So yeah, no, no complaints over here, but yeah, doing, doing okay. I think doing all right. Oh, if I could, if I could hypothetical, the actual venue, it would be you know, the converted warehouse space with your two or three bedroom apartment with like glass floor that you can see down into your epic shed with all your stuff. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get that, but yeah, maybe that's the vibe. That's the go. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> glass floor. That's mad. Glass floor. You're going to be able to look down on the cars, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, hundred percent. If I had a glass floor to look down on my cars, I'd be like, oh fuck, they look like shit. Yeah. It would be a motivating factor to keep yeah, the place absolutely. tidier, right? Yeah. Like you'd have to keep it tidier. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. All right, yeah. so we got some questions from past guests, and at the okay. end, I'm going to get you to ask a question to future guests as well. Yeah, right. Um, okay. There's one here I haven't actually written in. I, was, I, I put in there that I was going to, and I actually didn't get around to doing it. So that one's going to be a surprise to you. Yeah, and cool. I'm going to put cool. you on the spot a bit, but we'll see how we go. It's fine. Um, so coming from Aaron Gregory, would you rather punch your dad or be punched by your dad? What a question. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, my old man's a sweetheart. Like if I punched him and he didn't work on my drift car anymore, I think I'd be pretty sad. So I'd say I'd rather be punched by him because yeah. like I could probably take it and, you know, like I could probably take it for one. He's 70. Um yeah, I think that's probably the appropriate way to answer that. Yeah, nice. I'd rather take the hit than do the hitting. 
Um, coming from Patrick Bailey, it might relate uh, to yourself because you you you, have, you do drift. Um, yep. When you're sitting at the starting line, do you breathe through your mouth or through your nose? It's so funny. So I started doing well. I've I've um, started speaking to a vocal coach to try and work out how I can stop losing my voice doing all these events. Yeah. But I've got asthma, so I really struggle to get a lot of air in. So I do find I breathe through my mouth more than my nose. Yeah. And this vocal coach spotted it straight away. She's like, do you wake up with a dry mouth? Can you make this noise for me? Blah, blah, blah. And she just like went bang, 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 bang. She goes, yep, you're a mouth breather at night. You need more humi- like humidity in your room, blah, 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 blah. It's not any more insulting, insulting at I'm all. I'm like, <laughs> okay, um, all right, cool. Um, so no, I'd probably be a breathe through my mouth to just stay alive. Yeah, <laughs> just keep living. Yeah. Nice. Um, coming from Danny Probert, uh, what is the craziest superstition that you can't kick? Superstition. It's not so much a superstition, but people that follow me on socials will know my 1234. So one, two, three, four, the sequence of numbers. Um, there was a period of time there where I was copying that in various iterations nearly every day. And it was just... I felt like it was just a nod of things are in order and things are okay. So like, you know, I, my phone would ring, I'd talk to a customer or something and I'd put it down. And you know, when your phone screen sort of flashes, if you touch yep. it, like I'd touch the phone screen and it'd be 1234 lunchtime or something, or yep. um, I was riding my Harley down the peninsula and I'm just riding along and something caught the corner of my eye and I look across and it was an address of a, of a house and it was one, two, three, four. And just, I've got all of these screenshots and photos and call me crazy and kooky and a numbers or whatever, whatever you want, that's fine. But the 1234 is, is a good energy flow. Things are going in, you know, I know when I see that, I know things are good and, and in order. So I guess it's a bit of a superstition of yeah, nice. nu- numerology. Nice. I like that question because a lot of the times people go, oh, I don't have a superstition. But hang on. Upon reflection, yeah. Yeah. Um coming from Jack Merritt, how many five year olds do you think you can take on in a fight? Man, they can be vicious. Yeah. I just think of this talking we're talking like party time five year olds. Nah, if they're all hepped up on sugar and stuff, oh I can't even outrun them because they're just like little whippets. Um, all I think of, I get a mental image of like Bart and Lisa Simpson when they're doing the kicking and the wailing arms. Like if I can just kick and wail my arms, I don't know. I could probably get a few of them down before they overpower you, but it's usually that thing. It's like when there's lots of them, they'll overpower you at some point. I don't know. So how many, how many, how many you taken down before they overpower you? you Surely just one hit per, you know, you'd probably get 10 or so down. I think that that was kind of my number. Yeah. I thought, you know, cause not that I, think of or dream about beating children let's be honest (laughs) i haven't thought about this at all but that's probably about what i could get and then i'd be tired and and they'd probably overpower you yeah oh like neo in the matrix when when agent smith mr anderson he's like coming at him yeah and they're like neo's like doing all the fighting stuff it's like how many of those you could handle before yeah Yeah, okay yeah probably 10 and i'd be cooked i reckon that's (laughs) i'm about the same yeah uh coming from mick kelly do you leave your phone locked or unlocked around your missus? Well, it just naturally locks. And I've got a new missus. 
So we're still working that out. No, <laughs> no, no. She'll probably she'll probably listen to this and get stuck into me. But um, she's she's a power lifter and she's absolutely stronger than me. So uh, I don't want to fuck with her because she'll kick my ass. No, so you're um, deleting every anything incriminating and <laughs> no, no, no. and, and unlocking your phone. Nah, look, I you know nothing to hide on my phone. I'm I'm easy. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to tell you all my passcode though. So unless you've got my face, you can't get into my phone. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right so the one that I, I forgot to write down for you which would that's have been right. really helpful because it's kind of putting you on the spot that's um, cool. it started off as give us your worst joke but okay so so i'll give you the choice but it ended up being give us your best because for the most people put on the spot trying to give their worst joke it might be their best or give their best joke might be their worst yeah so okay if you want you can take your pick give us your Jeez. best worst. It is a little bit on the spot. So I, I watch a lot of stand-up comedy. Like if I'm, I rarely get a, any sort of downtime because I just plug my life with fun things. And even like tonight, you know, it's just like come home from work straight into this. That's how I generally live my life. So I don't I don't find that I watch a lot of TV or do anything. But when I do it, I may, I'm watching stand-up comedy flat out. And I love stand-up comedy so much, but I am terrible at remembering jokes and I'm terrible at delivering jokes. Um, but one of my favorites that I can remember to do, and I've gotten pretty good at it with a bit of a straight face, is that if someone's singing a song, you know, they might be humming or singing a tune or whatever, and you go to them, who sings that? And they go, oh, it's it's Kanye's new song. And you go, yeah, you should leave it to him. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like, or it's like, um, Oh, is that hard to sing? Because it's fucking hard to listen to, and you're just roasting them. And if you do it with the straightest face, yeah, you can pull it off really well. It's taken me a while to get the straight face because usually I just piss myself laughing. <laughs> but yeah, who sings that? Yeah, you should definitely leave it to them. And it's like if you deliver it in the right room with the right people around, it's like massive burn. So it's not yeah, a I good like joke it. or a bad joke, but I, I just like that. It's it's yeah, good. That's a good one. Um, are there any words of advice that you've received throughout your journey that still ring true today? Uh, yeah, like in general about living your own personal life and and being passionate and authentic is two very, very interesting things. And we don't all have to like the same stuff. You know, you might love basketball, the next person likes cars, whatever, but just try your best to find your passion about something and funnel your energy into it because you're just going to live a more fruitful life. You're going to have better conversations with people. You're going to experience more things at a, at a higher frequency and a better vibration frequency because you're going to vibe with people better. So, you know, if you're interested in something, it's music or whatever, throw yourself into it, give it a red hot crack and just be honest and authentic with yourself and, and always, always try and, and, you know, put your best foot forward and, you don't necessarily need to, you know, hide your shame and stuff like that. You know, everyone, we're all just winging it in life, you know, business people and people doing any, the more you talk to people, the more you realize that we're all just winging it. No one really knows what the fuck they're doing. If you can just show up every day and have a crack and, and be authentically yourself, that's, that's the best thing you can do. And, and I, I pass that on to my nieces, my nephew, you know, all the younger people in my life. Um, just do what makes you happy. I know that sounds like a cliche term, but it really does pay dividends. And, and I'm, 
I'm living that because I found something I really love and I'm funneling my energy into it and it's just paying me back tenfold and it's so, so cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, is, is there anyone you'd like to give a shout out to? Um, for sure. I mean, I've, I've got, I've got quite a good network of people and, and lots of people that have, you know, that cheer me on every day, you know, like I'll get messages and people cheer me on for, you know, doing a 10 K run or whatever. And, um, you know, I've probably got such a network of people that, that I wish I could thank every single one of them in, in all of the different ways, but I try to jump onto them and, and, you know, sort of acknowledge that they share that sort of sentiments with me at all different times. But, you know, I absolutely wouldn't be the person I am without my folks being so loving and open and accepting of my car habit. So, you know, they were the ones that allowed me to get the loan and, and do all that stuff that then made me, you know, allowed me to meet the people and, and continue on the journey. And, and, you know, I've, I've just moved back in with them now because I, I was living in the city for a couple of years and, and the rent prices have just skyrocketed through the roof and, and I just couldn't afford to live the life that I want and rent in the city. Um, and, and, you know, they've happily taken me back home as well and I can save money for my Europe trip. So, you know, those, my mum and dad are just my, my biggest supporters, biggest fans and they're, and they're just great. Um, yeah, I just wouldn't be who I am without them. And, you know, my epic friendship group is is just, there's so many, there's so many different people that offer, uh, you know, their ear or whatever. And I'll do everyone the justice of not naming anyone in particular, because that will be very challenging. Cause if I leave someone out, who's really important to me and I'm put on the spot, then that'll really frustrate me. But yeah, my, my mates that really know me well and that, that have shared their time and I've shared time with them, you know, they'll really appreciate um, the sentiment. They know, they all know who they are. Um, and from anyone who I meet in the future, bring it on as well because yeah i i want to meet everyone i want to talk to everyone about everything let's go you know um, i'm certainly not a shy shy cat nice man yeah um i do just before we sort of finish up yeah. i do want to circle back because i missed it earlier and i'm kind of kicking myself now but talk to us uh, about thrash kings right yeah yeah oh absolutely and look I'm, I'm waffling on about it myself but i've got the jumper on i've got the hat on i'm, I'm in the thrash king spirit as we speak um yeah, the the um, the Thrash Kings brand is Chris's brand that he started in Japan or just before he went to Japan as his channel to the world doing what he did. So, um, you know, he created some stickers. He, he liaised with a guy to draw him up a logo and everything else, and he was just getting started. So he just started a Thrash Kings YouTube channel, and, and it's still published on there now. So you can have a look and, and you can see some of his early videos it might be too much for some people knowing that, you know, he's not with us anymore, but there's some really cool stuff there. Um, and it's just him and his journey to date. Um, and, and what we're doing with that as well is he just bought his first batch of merchandise, um, some t-shirts, um, short sleeve and long sleeve t-shirts right before that pheasant wood event, just before COVID. And he just started selling t-shirts. It was the first event that he went to with his own merch just to be able to sell a couple of t-shirts and just get his brand out there. Um, and of course I grabbed one of each immediately. I'm like, yep, cool. I'll support you. You know, I love what you're about. Um, and we want to just, you know, Chance and I've spoken about it and Maddie's brother. Um, we thought we, it'd be a really cool way to keep his brand going in his memory and, and the people that knew him that want to wear the brand and know what he's about. Um, I kept getting asked, you know, 
where can I get a t-shirt? Where can I get a t-shirt? And, you know, we didn't have that much stock cause he only bought a, you know, he only bought a few sizes and, and enough just to get started, just dipping his toe in the water. So, um, yeah, I just, I just did a whole nother merch run, um, just with my, some of my car fund, like my piggy bank car fund, um, just to sort of keep it going so people can wear his brand and, and be happy with that. Um, but we'd love to get it to a point where, you know, we've sold some hats and jumpers and t-shirts and stuff, and maybe there's a bit of money in the account and maybe we can either run an event or co-run an event with somebody, or maybe we can sponsor an up and coming driver or I don't know anything, you know, just to keep the conversation going around his journey and, and the fact that we're all in it together. And I love when I see people wearing the Thrash Kings brand because I know what it means to me. And so many people in our industry or in our, in our community know that it was his thing. So yeah, um, uh, I've got a bunch of things. I'm all out of hoodies at the moment. We're going to do another run of hoodies, but I've got some hats and I've got long sleeve and short sleeve shirts. Um, and we're just doing it through the Instagram page. So it's thrashkings.shop, um, you know, at, um, on, on Insta. So yeah, there's bits and pieces there. If, you know, if, um, yeah, you want to, grab a hat or grab something and just, you know, sort of tip. It's sort of that acknowledgement of, Hey, we know what the, the meaning is behind it. Um, and we sort of acknowledge, and I think wearing the stuff as well. And the people that know people have come up to me and had conversations around mental health or whatever as well. So that's really cool that they sort of get it and they're willing to have a conversation, which is great. So yeah. So obviously happy to, to do whatever. And, um, you know, um, post all over Australia, so just send it throughout through Ozpost, so I can reach reach whoever. Um, so yeah, thrashkings.shop is the Insta page. We don't actually have a web store yet; we're working on that as well. Um, but again, we just want to sell a few more things to generate some income to be able to then fund the web store. And then once the web store is up and running, and we can you know be turning over a few things that we can build up a bit of a kitty, you know, put a thousand bucks towards something. Um, but yeah, not not a profit spinning thing, just to keep the brand going. Nice. Because it'd be such a shame to let it go, you know. Absolutely. I yeah. wasn't being rude to you then, by the way. I was making no, no. sure I was following thrashkings.shop. On yeah, your cool. <laughs> yeah, cool. No, thanks for that. Appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> um, and I was, so. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Nice. Um, let us know where everyone can find you, mate. Right. So me personally, um, Instagram is at sx. So it's Tony backwards, Y-N-O-T. And the SX is for my 200 SX. So that was my number plate on my car when I was 18. When I first got the S15, why not SX was the number plate on the car. And I still run that um, like Instagram handle. I've got the number plates. They're on both my drift car and my circuit car. The original plates that I had from 20 years ago, which is just rad. Um, but yeah, it's um, obviously Tony Bishop on Facebook as well. Um, no web store. I'm dabbling in TikTok a little bit. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll be doing YouTube at some point. I just don't want to put the pressure on myself with the thousand jobs that I'm thousand, not thousand, but a few jobs that I've got going on. And yeah, I, I will do something and it'll probably be around the Europe trip because I think people will really love to see what gate builds like Goodwood festival of speed, you know, and then all the music and road tripping stuff. So, so keep your eyes peeled for probably yeah, September, August, September, later in the year, there'll be, There'll be some pretty cool stuff that will come out of that Europe trip. Awesome. So, but mainly Instagram is where I'm, where I live. Awesome, mate. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure.
Heath Legend, thank you so much for inviting me. It was great to meet you at Summonats there, and and I was I was pretty pumped to to come on. So no, thanks for the opportunity. Awesome. Cheers, mate. Take care. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to have you tune in again next week. Don't forget to head over and follow Gutter Together on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok by searching for Gutter Together Podcast. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gutter together podcast and be sure to check out the new website at gutter together podcast.com i'd really appreciate it if you could share the podcast with a friend and even consider leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice i look forward to bringing you more next week so please have a great week and look after each other